Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Everybody. Thanks for listening to the ElfQuest show. This is David and I'm back with Ryan. How's it going, Ryan? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing well. Excited to talk about the new issue. Me too. Um, before we do that, though, I would like to start off this time by doing a little promo for the amazing ElfQuest art book Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, so if any of you guys are, are part of the ElfQuest Facebook fan group, you know that I probably... Um, have posted about it two or three times a day, but um, I want everybody to know about it and to remind everybody as often as possible that this is a really awesome opportunity to get some pretty kick-ass ElfQuest books. So bear with me for you know a little while longer. Um, and the the Kickstarter officially ends on October first. But um, you know, for those of you who might not be familiar, there's a Kickstarter being run by a publisher called Flesk Pub- Publications. They specialize in doing sort of retrospective art books, and uh, Wendy and Richard hooked up with them a couple years ago and have been working on the doing a book called The Art of ElfQuest, which then grew into the um, a second book called The Line of Beauty, The Art of Wendy Peeney, which has now grown into three books. So it's those two, and there's going to be a third volume called The Art of the Story of ElfQuest. Um, each of these books are going to be over 300 pages long, um, and they're going to basically do a deep dive on all of the, you know, sort of the backstory and art that, you know, my impression is much of which we have not seen before. So um, it's going to be pretty amazing. Yeah, from the preview pages that we've seen, it looks incredible. And this is something that fans have been clamoring for for years is sort of a coffee table art book uh, all about ElfQuest. And uh, it's just an amazing bonus that we're getting these two other volumes as well. So it's an amazing retrospective on Wendy's, uh, Wendy's body of work. Yeah, I'm particularly excited about the um, the line of beauty because mm-hmm. you know we're all obviously ElfQuest fans, but Wendy has done so much other stuff right. over the years, and um, and that's the stuff that I think that we probably have only seen like little dribs and drabs here and there, like some of her old um, uh, illustrations. And- yeah, hmm. exactly. Um, so I, I'm excited for that, and then then the 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 third book, the art of the story of ElfQuest is um, my understanding from what has been written on the um, on the Kickstarter page is that, you know, it's going to, it's just like the art of ElfQuest, it's going to look at the art, but it's going to look at it more from its role in actually telling a story. Whereas the art of ElfQuest, my impression is going to really kind of analyze Wendy's art. Yeah, the, the, um, sorry, what's it called? The art of the story? Yeah, it's called the art of the story of ElfQuest. They're focusing on, I think, five or six specific issues of ElfQuest, from what I understand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I maybe you missed that, but on yeah. somewhere I read that. Yeah, it's going to be 
Hidden Years 9.5, and uh, a couple of the stories from the Frank Frazetta anthologies. Uh, oh, yes, I somewhere, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then there's um, another Hidden Years, I think. Yeah, so there's there's specifically it's focusing on on a handful of actual issues, and I cool. guess it takes you through the process of story development from start to finish. What I really I, I like to see in the um, the line of beauty, I'm excited for that one too. Not just um, I, I'm hoping not just to see her professional work that was published, but mm-hmm. um, her work from when she was a kid. I would love to see because I love seeing um, an artist progression from when they started and how they developed their their craft. I have to guess that we'll definitely get some of that in that book. Um, just, just cause, you know. I mean, I, I mean, listen. I'll put it this way: they've got to find something to throw to fill over three hundred pages. So, Definitely, yeah. Um, so yeah. So actually, that's you know, going back to the Kickstarter. Um, a lot of fans seem very unfamiliar with Kickstarter. Um, there's been a lot of confusion and questions. So first and foremost, folks should go to the Kickstarter page. Um, again, go to ElfQuest.com. Go to the official ElfQuest Facebook page. Go to the ElfQuest Facebook fan group. Follow ElfQuest on Twitter. It's you know you'll get the links to the ElfQuest Kickstarter, but um, it's all there, folks. Just read the page, and if you know, just pay attention. It, it, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but to summarize, there's a few different ways of of participating. So um, you you can pledge. What how Kickstarter works is you pledge. You don't get charged until after the campaign ends. In this case, it's October 1st is when it ends. So we're down to the wire here. And um, and when you when you pledge, you pick a level at which you want to pledge. So in this case, there are three $50 levels, which gets you the hardcover trade edition of any one of these books. Um, each one of them is going to come with a unique art print. Um, or you can pledge at the $100 level which will get you the deluxe edition of each of those three books, you know, only one um, at a hundred dollar level. So you could pick which one you want also comes with a print. Um, and then at the $150 level, you'll get all three of the regular hardback trade editions and the prints. And at the $300 level, which is the top level, you'll get all three of the deluxe editions with their prints. So it's pretty simple and straightforward. You can either order the books individually, either the trade or or the deluxe, or you can order them as a bundle, um, all three of them. So, um, And then the key with Kickstarter is that to make it fun, what most Kickstarters do is add stretch goals. So there's your basic goal. Once we reach that, the project will get funded and it will move forward. We reached that pretty quickly within yeah. like 48 hours, which was yeah. amazing. Amazing. Um, and then we've we've so far hit two of the three stretch goals. So the first stretch goal means that we're all, anybody who pledges is going to get a special 8x10 art print, um, a, an illustration that first appeared back in one of the old calendars. Um, so that's awesome. And then you hit the second stretch goal, which, at, which was $60,000. And that means that anybody who chooses or pledges to get the deluxe editions those deluxe editions are going to have 16 extra pages in each of those books of art and narrative. So that's pretty hardcore and awesome. Yeah. Um, and then the last stretch goal is $80,000. And if we reach that, mm-hmm. we get the most coolest thing of all, which is an ElfQuest coloring book, mm-hmm. which you know people have yeah. been clamoring for, like you said, and drooling over. And you know, just a fun thing to have that yeah. probably would never see the light of day otherwise. Well, you seem in particular very excited about <laughs> this. <laughs> 
I just imagine you sitting on the floor with your nephew. <laughs> totally. Well, I probably would make copies, you know, photocopy of whatever page I would get to right. the kids. But, um, but yeah. And so what's neat about it is that um, you get a, if we reach that stretch goal of eighty thousand dollars, we'll get um, a coloring book with each book. So in other words, if you end up getting the um, you know the hundred and fifty or the three hundred dollar pledge level, and you get all three books, you're going to get three coloring books. So um, it's going to be pretty awesome. So anyway, I just wanted to quickly run through that, try to answer some of the top questions that I've seen come across as I've been helping to promote it. Um, but yeah, go to the Kickstarter page. You make a pledge. You won't be charged until after the Kickstarter ends. It's usually within a few days, um, and then you'll be contacted by Flesk Publications, who's running the Kickstarter, um, and they'll confirm your mailing address and your payment method and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, where, where are we right now as far as... Um... We budget. are, I don't have it in front of me, but we're, we're somewhere ballpark. in like, yeah, ballpark around like, we're almost, last I looked, we were around 66,000. Okay. So we still need another, you know, 14, you know, 13, 14 and change. Right. Um, and so I don't know, you know, how long it's going to take to edit this together and get it out for the listeners. But, um, you know, by the time folks hear this, it might hopefully have gone up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so this is the plug. Book. People. We need the coloring book, people. Do it. <laughs> so it's October first. October first okay. is is when it ends. Yeah. So um, we got a bit so, of time. Yeah, we have a little bit of time. And my understanding is that um, a lot of Kickstarters really see a big pick up at the very end, but there's no guarantee. So again, if you're listening, you're if you're remotely interested, head on over. You know, minimum pledge is fifty bucks. It's not. Um, you know, not too too expensive, especially for what you're getting. You're getting a over three hundred page book with two eight by 10 art prints. So mm -hmm. that's pretty awesome. It's so be incredible. And yeah. when are they being published? Um, the schedule is, is up on the Kickstarter page. Um, the art of elf quest is going to be the first one out. And I want to say that one is going to ship in like December. Yeah. Um, and then I think the art of the story of elf quest is sometime, I, I want to say maybe in the spring and then the, um, the line of beauty, I think is slated for next summer. So if you pledge now, you'll automatically get them as they become available. Estimated delivery April 2016, but I guess that's for all three, right? Uh, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest with you. Uh, oh, Art of ElfQuest, December 2015. Right, that's what I thought about that one. And then the other two will Art sort of, of the, follow. Art of the Story, April 2016. Okay, yeah, so I was right. It was yeah. December, April, and then the Line of Beauty, I think, is sometime next summer. August 2016. Right. There you go. Yeah, there we go. Okay, yeah, cool. So, cool. yeah, so um, yeah. go pledge everyone. Do it. <laughs> yeah, this is really exciting. I uh, am really looking forward to this. Three books featuring over 900 pages of art and story. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty mind blowing when you think about it. Yeah, I can't wait. All right. So let's talk Final Quest issue number 11. Oh, my God. <laughs> so <laughs> let's let's talk about it and try and figure out what the hell is going on, because yeah. I have been racking my brain over this one, as I'm sure everybody else is going to be. Because totally. Like through me. Yeah. Which I'm sure Wendy and Richard are just loving that. That's, uh, uh, totally. Yeah. I mean, so so. You know, before we get into the specifics, like some big, big stuff happens, right? Yeah. But in true peeny fashion, it sort of ends on a cliffhanger yeah. where you're like, what? "What? Wait a second! What the hell just happened?" So we'll um, we'll talk through that, and I think you know, let's let's save that big thing 
you know, for last, because I think it's, you know, the positioned in the issue. My, yeah, my what was a little more expletive filled, but I think <laughs> I, I, will, I won't subject everyone to what actually came out of my mouth when I read that last page. Yeah. Well, let's just say, you know, jaw was was left flapping open for the flies yeah. to fly in. So, um, but the issue starts with, um, you know, our, our, our new friend, Dreon, Mm-hmm. And um, we get a little bit more info about his his whole singing thing, which I have to admit is like I'm having a little bit of trouble kind of understanding exactly what that means and what's going on with it. Um, you know, it's it, it, they describe him, you know, it's, it's sort of this like it sounds like his this voice and this song that he sings is sort of like a blend of all of the, you know, sort of the background noises of nature. So it's like less of voice and more of like music. I don't know. That's how I'm kind of interpreting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also that it seems to somehow connect in with the elves spirits, like both the spirits that are still within living bodies, but the spirits that exist there on the world of two moons. Like, you know, we see Joyleaf and Bearclaw being kind of manifesting um, themselves outside of the father tree and nightfall even, you know, references it now i don't know whether or not the elves can actually see them or not but um but yeah, they would definitely feel their presence yeah so that's kind of interesting i don't know redland redland says nightfall his voice brings oh right spirits yeah. of past chiefs from the father tree what do i think of that um i'm not delving i haven't delved too much into that as far as like trying to figure it out or consider i just took it as the dude's got a really good singing voice and <laughs> i guess the spirits appreciate it as much as the living elves do and if he was here he'd probably have a recording contract oh, right <laughs> how i well, thought yeah i mean they i like good a, music yeah though that's what i was gonna say like i don't like i mean I, I don't i'm imagining it more as sound and and not words which would make sense based yeah, on I, what we know about them um right exactly like that seems to be what's being conveyed here as far as the writing one of the i mean i guess a, a drawback of reading is that when characters are singing, you don't really get a, a real sense for what that sounds like. Right, yeah. I remember reading a, a critique of the original quest at some point. There was maybe one of the gatherums. Um, it was an article, and the writer referenced the same thing, like when they're, the wolf riders are singing in the troll caverns. Um, it's one thing to actually read written words, uh, lyrics to a song as opposed to hearing them so right, right. Um, you know we're missing out on that aspect what would be really cool is if maybe wendy or richard directed us to like some audio file or something you know and say this right. is kind of what it sounds like imagine this you know yeah that 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 would be totally awesome so um we'll see what happens i think you're right though <laughs> i think it's something along the lines of like the sounds of the forest at night yeah, I mean, Skyway says it, you know, where does Dreon's chant end and the forest's many whispers begin? Is it, um, or is it all one? So, um, but it's interesting that you say that because you're right. Like in the past, even though we haven't had the music or the melody, we've at least had words mm-hmm. when when we have seen song in ElfQuest. And in this sense, there are no words. So it's, I think that's probably why I'm still having a little bit of, you know, I'm just not quite fully wrapped around what exactly his music and singing and chant or whatever it is is all about. But yeah. I'm sure more will be revealed as the story goes on. Yeah, he's an intriguing character. Um, I, I'm really excited to learn more about him, where he came from, who he is, who his people are, why he doesn't speak. Um, right. Somebody made a comment on Facebook recently about how he might be on 
the autism scale or, or something close to it that uh-huh. elves would experience, which is really sort of an intriguing right. uh, idea. Yeah. You know, if he's on that, uh, I think it's neurodiversity spectrum. Uh huh. You know, because he does seem sort of, um, in some way, uh, like set apart from the rest of them, and I, I don't know how easy it is for him to communicate with the other elves. Although he seems to be, they seem to respond to his form of communication, which is his right. singing. So yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely, and um, yeah, I'm again just still kind of trying to wrap my mind around it all so yeah we'll see what happens as the story unfolds because he doesn't really have much else to do in the rest of this issue no nope. except for eat dream berries with pike that's right a little yeah. bit further down but we'll get we'll we can talk about that in a little bit when we get to that scene but um so so all right next up you know skywise is still kind of dazed with the fact that Tamane has like you know shaped herself down into timini and <laughs> um and is hanging out with him and he's just kind of like you know, and, and, you know, she says, she kind of repeats what he said to Cutter about wondering, you know, wouldn't it be great if they could stand eye to eye? Right. And, you know, Skywise is like, wait, I only said that to Cutter. Mm. So, like, that's weird. Yeah. And that, of course, is going to come back later in the tale. So, yeah, it's a bit of foreshadowing for the end of the issue. But, the, but where we go right from there is we, we, we learn some really cool things. Um, the thing. Alice with Sunstream. Right. And he's, you know, the wave dancers are there and Moonshade's there and they're kind of check, you know, just kind of regathering because they've just shown up for this big gathering of, of chiefs. And we learn that, you know, there are definitely more elves that have responded and to the to the call of Sunstream's call, which is now the call of the palace um, than the ones that we saw. So that's kind of a really neat revelation i guess you know i mean there could be dozens of other elves that have shown up or or are trying to show up other than Dreon and you know the weird tree elves and um you know well we've seen auric and um and then door apparently is still out there so. and then the go backs all when they were right the go backs right yeah. go backs but um yeah i'm wondering because it's been 10 years right that's passed uh-huh. all went out um how many other elves are in the palace at this point and if we're going to see them or not right. uh we haven't yet. Um, right. So I'm, I have to say I'm a little apprehensive, I guess, in some sense, because I'm really hoping that there are more. Right. And I don't know. We don't know yet if there are. Uh, all we know is that uh, from this conversation that Sunstream and and the gang here have is that um, there's a female elf who was slain by humans when she tried to make it to the palace mm-hmm. and uh, there's a, a life mated couple in rap stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really intrigued as to who uh, those two are and also the one who was killed. Um, but are they the only ones who, who got there apart right. from everybody else? I hope not. I hope there's more elves that made it in 10 years. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But I have some bad news for you. Okay. <laughs> I have, I, I would probably, be willing to bet money yeah. that those little, you know, trails of story and character that have been kind of introduced here are going to be left totally hanging in the wind. It is yeah. my guess. Okay. Um, well, because I, there's already so many freaking elves, <laughs> there's, you know, and so. No, wait, David, there can never be enough. <laughs> well, I know to you and me and everybody listening, but I'm sure, you know, when Wendy and Richard hear this, they'll be, you know, getting the, samurai knife out to impale themselves yeah, uh, at the notion Wendy of you know. throwing her weight <laughs> tablet across the room exactly 
So I think what, what I think is going on here is that, you know, Wendy and Richard wanted to recognize that, yeah, there are other elves out there. It's just, you know, we there's not necessarily room in within the story to sort of meet every single one and listen to every one of their conversations and travel down their path. So this is one of those things that I think is so great about ElfQuest, even if it is a little um, maddening for, for fans, because of course we're like so obsessed. We want to know everything. I mean, these two little, you know, bits here, you know, that there's, you know, elves out there struggling who are not making it and some that are making it, um, I think is just kind of like the perfect fodder for our imaginations for fanfic. I mean, those two elves in that rap stuff could be anyone. I don't know if these two are going to show back up in the story, but that could be Dodia and Dor for all we know. Um, it could be somebody who we have no idea about. Jethel and Chot. It could be Jethel and Chot. Yeah. So are they life mates by now. <laughs> who knows, right? So, so anyway, I just think um, I, I want to know too. But if they never go any more further into the tale of those these three particular elves, I think it would be kind of neat. I mean, they, just have that question. I yeah I know what you're saying you know what would be really cool though is Wendy's gonna kill me for saying this but years from now if she did a one shot of that couple and what their story was that would be kind of cool yeah well you never know um I mean think about the one shot about um Olbar's daughter uh Sila that's exactly what I'm thinking of yeah, yeah and um oh gosh what was her boyfriend's name I can't remember um yeah uh, Malik 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 yeah um yeah so that was kind of neat. That was sort of a, a one shot. I, although I think that actually came out before the actual story yeah. um, that appeared in the comics of the Forbidden Grove. Um, I think it came out shortly before that. And I believe that that came out in another publication. Yes. Um, kind of like the stuff that came out in the, um, Frizetta. the Frizetta magazines, um, the jewelry and then the rogues curse. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, I think that would be cool. I'd love I'd love to know more about them. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get to know more about them, I'm okay with that. It'll it's just more I'm fodder not. for our imagination. <laughs> All right, no, so Ryan is on record. <laughs> not okay with not knowing who they are. <laughs> so we move on um, to the scroll room, and Orek is now in a trance, and he's he's turning scrolls. It makes sense, um, you know. It makes sense that he is the one there turning the scroll because it's sort of what his function was his passion is and yeah. you know and he's he's in his trance voluntarily um so i think that all makes sense yeah it does make sense i just i feel like we met orek again or re-met orek and then all of a sudden he's back in a trance again like i hope at some point he interacts with yeah or the characters and we get to see more of who he is and what his personality is like I do too. It's um, like we got him back and then he's gone again. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Um, again, you have to factor in that in story time, 10 years has passed. So, um, you know, and, and we're just not going to see everything quote unquote on camera. Um, so, but I, I'm totally with you because he's an intriguing character. Um, and especially with sort of this kind of slightly reinterpreted version that Wendy and Richard had presented in final quest from, you know, kind of where we saw him last. Um, I, I'm personally very curious about him too. And so I, I, I'm going to guess that he's going to have some role to play because otherwise I don't know. They would have just, if they would have brought him back just cause and, and also because of his interaction with Equar, um, which could have just been sort of like, you know, cute dialogue, 
you know, to kind of remind character readers of who these characters are or whatever. But um, I could also see them doing something more with that, even if it's just sort of, you know, kind of in background. So yeah, yeah hopefully we'll get to see more of them. Not, not just Ekwar, but with Sava as well. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. She did say, you know, sort of our hands will touch when you're ready. So yeah. um, maybe, maybe their hands have touched. So maybe more, yeah, maybe more. Um, all right. So the other thing about this particular panel um, is look at the huge size of Cora face. I, know. Hair. I, know. <laughs> I mean, it's, she really is like taking the idea of like big penny elf quest hair to like new heights. And, and, you know, I've heard some grumblings about it. You know, people are like, well, why is it so big? But I, whatever. I love it. I think it's a, ter- a perfect representation of her wolf rider heritage. You know, she otherwise looks pretty much totally like a wave dancer, except for this like wild mane of Tina Turner hair and, you know, 80s Tina Turner hair. <clears throat> and so I think not only is it a, you know, kind of a visual reference to the fact that she's, you know, has wolf rider heritage, but also the character design definitely has like sort of a nod back to the 80s. And, you know, that's really when ElfQuest sort of, you know, first emerged onto the world, you know, late 70s into the 80s. And and I love that there's still little nods back to sort of the style of that time and of the original character design. So I'm all for it. So then next we're in the troll tunnels. This didn't uh, surprise me at all. I was actually expecting this um, when we got the uh, synopsis for the next, for this issue. You mean what happens with... with with Oddbit? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I figured that when it said Oddbit was going to get her wish that this is what she was going to ask for. It was for her beauty and her um, youth to be restored because, right. I mean, come on. She's a <laughs> troll, right? That's the, the most important thing to a troll maiden, except right. for uh, Drub. Yeah. Well, that, but, right, except for yeah. Drub, right. Yeah. But Drub still wants the gold, so yeah, she does she's want got the gold. One, yeah. one out of two. Um, although I wouldn't say that to her face that you think that she doesn't really care about her looks. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, yeah, I watch your, watch your mouth around her for sure. Right. But it was great seeing, uh, the trolls, even if it's just this one page where we get to see them. Um, you know, old Maggoty is there and, uh, and, um, Trinket. So we finally got a better look at Trinket and yeah, she's obviously, um, she's an adult. Yeah. Uh, she's looking well-developed and, uh, we also get uh, a panel with Picknose too, so it's fun to see them. Um, and also, Mender's always had this uh, easy way with the trolls. He seems to have sort of a, a natural rapport mm-hmm. with them, um, whether it's Picknose's clan or, or with uh, Drub and Flam. Uh, he seems to really sort of have this knack for getting yeah. on with trolls. So it doesn't surprise me either that he's the one down in the troll tunnels. And uh, it looks like, too, um, Picknose has taken in the the misfit trolls mm-hmm. that they're now under his uh his command yeah and i think you know that was you know sort of set up i guess what last issue or the issue before you know with this whole idea of let's get picknos let's lure him back with the prospect of you know ten thousand years more you know formation of gold and jewels in Graming's old kingdom and let him deal with the misfit trolls so we don't have to be bothered with it and that sounds like that's what's happening and of course you know He's winning their hearts through their stomachs and by feeding them. And so I just have this, this idea now of this is like the troll version of My Fair Lady where Picknose is going to take these like these misfit trolls with no manners or <laughs> <laughs> like transform them into, into how a proper troll should be. I mean, it is kind of like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Get a little song and dance in there. and Oh, my gosh. That would be really funny. Um, yeah. So it'll. I'm kind of curious to see like 
you know, like are the misfit trolls now just going to sort of be incorporated into now, you know, pick noses trolls in quotes, and that'll kind of be it for them? Or do they have more of a role to play? I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. But um, but yeah, you um, you know, you mentioned Trinket, and um, you know, the fact that she is certainly, you know, she's she's mature body wise. I don't know how mature she is personality wise. Oh, well, no, on... clearly she's still operating at, on the level of an eight year old mentally. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, and Wendy did confirm on Facebook cause, um, when the, you know, the preview pages came out, um, it included the scene and, um, you know, Wendy said, yeah, like by troll sort of standard, she's sort of like, you know, a young adult, you know, late teens, early twenties, you know, equivalent, even though she's at this point, you know, what, 50 years old or something. Mm-hmm. Um, she's still, her body is pretty much mature. Her personality is not. And, um, you know, so yeah. She's still infatuated with Mender. Somebody, um, made a comment on Facebook again that, uh, they wouldn't be surprised if Trinket asked to be changed into an elf. I was thinking, yeah, you know, that wouldn't surprise me either. Well, it would totally be the, you know, the, the, the spoiled brat, you know, young adult thing to do to piss your parents off. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, but I think the real scene stealer here is as always old Maggoty. Oh yeah. In her, in her gnarly, you know, don't fuck with me attitude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I mean, there's just no other way to say it. Right. So, and she gives it right back to Mender mocking his ugly looks. I love that. I thought that was a really great scene. And, you know, you, you have to feel bad for Oddbit on some level because yeah, she is the product of this, you know, frankly, largely sexist environment. And, you know, she's judged by the way that she looks and her husband doesn't pay attention to her. And, it, you know, it, it's definitely sort of a metaphor for what well, I, I see sort of like aging Hollywood where like you really, you know, you don't have anything, you know, the, the your meaning in the world is largely based on how you look. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is essentially the elfin or the elf quest version of plastic surgery. And thankfully, you know, Mender can, uh, hopefully anyway, Mender is better than, um, you know, we'll do better work than what we see on most of the real housewives. So <laughs> <it's> that. <laughs> Yeah, I know the troll society is very superficial, and I mean they're so obsessed with with appearances and also with um, material things, right? sort of like that. The flip side of the elves, but I I love how um, the trolls think that the elves are just hideous, abhorrent. <laughs> the way they look, like they're just the ugliest things they've ever seen. You know, it sort of it sort of challenges the whole notion of what we as humans find beautiful. Totally. Beauty is definitely in the eye of the beholder, right? Yeah, yeah. The trolls absolutely prove that. Yeah. And it's what makes them, it, that, that's one of the most endearing characteristics of the trolls is that they just think these damn elves are hideous. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of comic relief a little bit, but it also is eye-opening to your point because it really kind of makes you realize that, you know, your standards, uh, you know, whatever they are from whatever, you know, viewpoint, perspective, culture, aren't necessarily universal. And that's, you know, it's kind of a neat way of weaving in this sort of bigger message into the story, you know, via the trolls who are, you know, generally villains or comic relief. Mm -hmm. Although, you know, what's interesting now, I'm just thinking of it, is that the trolls still value youth over, um, well, maybe not youth over age, because they do respect old Maggoty. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a lot of emphasis 
at least on Oddbit's part, um, with valuing uh, youth and beauty. Uh, but then you have the elves who are eternally youthful appearance-wise for the mm -hmm. most part, but they really value age and wisdom. Like they look at, at the high ones who are immensely old as as the um, epitome of what their species can be. Right. Yeah, I don't know well, where I'm going with this, but well, no, it, <laughs> it it's definitely um, a great example of you know, what happens when, you know, the, the negative things that we experience in the real world are taken out of the equation. Mm -hmm. So in other words, another great example of this is, you know, the, the, the elves f very free attitude towards sex mm -hmm. and it's, you know, in their world, you know, there aren't things like STDs and there aren't things like unwanted pregnancies. So they have a culture where anybody can have sex with anybody and, you know, it's fairly consequence free. And so as a result, they have this very free and open attitude and it's, it, you know, it's, it's obviously not the world that we live in, but I think it's, it's there as a, as an example of, you know, what could be if, you know, if we kind of make it that way in the real world. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, the elves don't age. So, and so they don't have to worry like they, they, they place no value necessarily on looks because they're all beautiful. Right. So there's no like pro or con going on there at all. Um, mm -hmm. And so that opens them up then to be able to focus on more, I get, I don't know, substantive things like wisdom and knowledge and experience mm -hmm. in terms of what they value. So yeah, that's a really interesting point. Mm. It's yeah. also really interesting that the trolls, even though they seem to be just as immortal as the elves mm -hmm. age, and the elves don't. Right. Well, I attribute that to magic. In which way? Uh, well, they're, uh, all of the elves have an inherent shape-changing ability to some extent. Mm -hmm. So I think that they're subconsciously they are, um, preventing the aging process. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I was, what I was magic. thinking was that I think, I think there is magic involved, but I think it's because... The trolls are you know, the magic of the elves essentially is what made them immortal, but they're much uh, as a species, much newer to immortality than the elves as a species were. So their bodies still kind of age. If you take old Maggoty as an example, they, they seem to just be able to you know, keep kicking on forever. Uh, you know, I don't, as, as, as wrinkled and, you know, gnarly as she is, I don't see, um, I don't see her going away anytime soon from old age. No, I mean, it's been stated that they're immortal, right? right? So that means that they don't die. But yeah, that's an interesting point, though. They do age, which means that there's like cellular degeneration. Mm -hmm. uh, like, does that just continue on forever? And they just keep getting more and more decrepit? Well, I mean, Maggoty has looked pretty much the same for the last 10,000 years. Yeah. So my guess is that you get to a certain level, and that's kind of where you stay. Well, that's kind of like the elves, too in a way, right? I mean, apart from the wolf riders, the immortals, they reach that right, that's a good point where they they hit adulthood and then they just sort of plateau, like there's no change at all. Although they there are elves, immortal elves who are ancient like Sava and Ekwar who do show signs of physical aging, like it's very subtle, but they have right, you know, wrinkles around their eyes or I think that has more to do with, you know, individual circumstance and environment, but 
But to your point, yeah, they, they can be affected. Uh, but if they live a sort of a, a, a relatively safe, normal life, their bodies don't seem to um, to show those signs of aging, like wrinkling and things like that. I mean, the sun folk were out in the sun, you know, for millennia. So that's got to have some effect on your skin. So and I think that's that's what's going on there with Saba. And Ekwar, of course, you know, was sort of tortured for also millennia. And yes. I think that is clearly why he is not only stunted in height, but also bald and, you know, wrinkly and all that good stuff. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And of course, you know, t- taking a step out of the story, it just makes for an interesting character design too. I mean, how boring would it be if, if, you know, all the elves were totally perfect, but yeah, uh, no, I, I'm not complaining. I mean, I totally agree visually. It's more interesting to see those kinds of differences. Right. So the next thing that happens is one of the two, earth-shattering major things that happens not only in this issue but in ElfQuest and that is that Tim Ain finally gets an article of clothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and it's not really a, you know an article of clothing it's you know it's basically a blanket that Moonshade gives her but interesting that you know I what I what I think that's all about why Wendy and Richard bothered to even put that in there is is sort of a representation that she really is different when she is in her different shapes. Um, and that, you know, even like, she's not just the miniature version of the high one to me when she's to many to use our, our fan appointed nickname, <laughs> um, you know, like she, she actually is different just like she's different when she's a wolf. Like she still has that core of, you know, sort of the alien high one first comer when she's in wolf form, but she thinks like a wolf. And she moves like a wolf and she communicates like a wolf. And I think the point here is that um, when she's in sort of a wolf rider shape, she's going to think and act and behave, including wearing clothing, much more like a, you know, a standard issue wolf rider. You know, and she doesn't take it too far. She just drapes the clothes over her shoulders and her whole front side is totally naked. But no, it's a step in the direction. Right? <laughs> Yeah, maybe she'll have a dress next time or something. Right. We'll see. No, and I'm just joking. I'm perfectly fine for Timmy to walk around in the buff for all eternity. I think it it totally fits with her character. Well, yeah. And it, par for the course, right? Yeah, and it underscores the you know elves' complete lack of body shame and so on and so forth. So this whole sequence here with Moonshade giving her that hide to wear reminded me of the scene in Dreamtime, uh, Skywise's dream. Oh right, because. He says, yeah, yeah. He says, my friendly star shatters, springing down on me as a blanket of magic that looks just like a plain old rusty colored hide. And this hide is looks to be of that rusty color. Interesting. I didn't even connect that dot, but you're totally right. Yeah. I don't know if that's what was intended, but there seems to be maybe some connection there. Right. Well, so, so, you know, we're getting into the Skyways Timmy and stuff. So, you know, Skyways is still sort of reeling at the fact that she's walked out of the palace and you know he's asking her like why why now why not before i mean you know we've been in the palace together for again a long time at this point um yeah you know why now and she says and this is where the 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 sort of preview teaser pages brought us to which i think was pretty torturous but you know she's like there's as many answers as there are stars which one do you want to hear? Yeah. And it's like, what the frick does that mean? <laughs> well, I took that to mean, I, I don't know, it's like, come on, could you be any more enigmatic? Um, I just take that to mean that there are endless possibilities. And it's sort of like the whole idea of, uh, I guess, like quantum. Right. Physics, right. Like there any any possibility actually 
occurs or can occur. Right. And and it's a its own universe and timeline. So, I mean, she's so ancient, and she's been studying the scroll of colors for ages, right? So, I, I mean, to her, like time and multiple universes, and it's all it's all the same thing. Yeah, and I think this is um, this is where Elfquest touches onto like this this bigness of of thought and ideas and and frankly science and yeah very like and metaphysics and right yeah, yeah. and um, you know again I do sometimes I, I I feel like I get how Cutter feels when he's standing in the palace watching the scroll of colors and interacting with Timmy sometimes it's, you know, it, my, my, my poor little brain has trouble kind of really grasping the full measure of what I think Wendy and Richard are suggesting with all this stuff. So, yeah. which is, which is good in the, in that, like, I, I, I kind of like it that way. I'm trying to not overanalyze or think too much about it. But you can really sympathize with Nightfall when she said, you know, for me day to day, the, the small truth is, is enough. Yeah. And, and it allows me as a reader to just kind of go with the flow and see where the story is going to go and where Wendy and Richard are going to take us. And, and the beauty of ElfQuest is that we're all going to be reading this stuff for the next 20 or 30 years. And so I love the idea of being able to kind of just to be scratching my head right now and not really having a clue as to what's going on, because I know as the story unfolds and final quest, you know, comes to its conclusion, there'll be a lot of answers, but that I'm still going to be able to go back and read and reread the stuff for the rest of my life and and get more out of it. So it's kind of cool in that sense. Are you suggesting that 30 years from now, you and I are going to do a follow-up <laughs> podcast on this? Well, let's see. Yeah, 30 years, I'll be, you know, 70. We'll so old men, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm down with that. Okay, so am I. Right. <laughs> Will they still well, have podcasts then? I know, right? We'll just be able to, like, think at each other. <laughs> exactly. <that> Sending. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, on this on this next page, um, the first one that is past where the teaser preview showed us, um, the, the 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 blanket definitely is that rusty red color. Yeah. So um, and Wendy, of course, has been wickedly dropping hints and and even blatant things like go read Dreamtime again, which I didn't do. And had I done my homework, that would have been much more obvious. So thankfully, you picked up on it. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I didn't do my homework either. I just I, that just occurred to me. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So they have this little chat, and she's like, "Whatever, it doesn't matter. What like why I didn't do it before? We're together now." And I love this. She's like, "What I choose to do, I do." Yeah. Which you know, spoken again like a, you know, eons old creature, right? I mean, who's going to stop her? And yeah, a little, a little bit scary though, kind of, because I mean, to what extent, right? And. You know, there's been there's been some suggestion and intimations, uh, you know, speculation on the part of fans that maybe uh, she's not as benevolent as we might have thought. I personally don't think that's the case. But when she says things like this, well, no, I don't. I don't think that she's malevolent. Is sorry, is what I'm trying to say. Because I thought you were like the master of that theory. <laughs> uh, that she's that she's malevolent. Yeah, that she's got something up her sleeve, uh, or even no. if she doesn't deliberately that there's something gonna, that bad out that's going to come of Timmy's choices or something. Well, only only if not that she would intentionally do anything malevolent, but that she would kind of along the same lines of, as Rayek, you know, uh, where he thought, like, damn the torpedoes, I'm doing what's right in quotes. And this is this is the best thing to do. OK, for me and my people. And, you know, if if people don't agree with me, then too bad. I'm doing it because it's 
you know, so he takes away choices from everyone else. I don't know if she's if she would go to go that far, but when she says things like this, it sort of raises a red flag. Right. Well, I think it's interesting that you bring up that rape example because I wanted to bring that up not in relation to Timane, but in relation to Skywise. But let's put a pin in that for one second because I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and and she yeah. frankly does have the power to do that. But I think the whole point that's being made and everything she says and does is that she is a creature of supreme restraint. I mean, she really could for, for all intents and purposes, she really is what we humans would refer to as a God. She could completely control the palace right now mm. and go anywhere in time, make anything happen. You know, she could change her shape into be anything or exist, not even in a shape. Right. So, right. um, and I think that's the whole point here is that she has chosen in her, you know, sort of, again, star's age of wisdom to be restrained and not, not like, even if you can do whatever you want in, in that big sense, like that, the lesson of pain is like, is to live the smaller truth within the larger. I think that's what Timane is, is all about. If that's what she's saying. I mean, again, that's why she wasn't going to let Skyways go out and pick up every elf in the, um, in the world. But what's interesting is, well, okay. So, so they, they're, they're having this conversation. She calls him beloved. Mm-hmm. His jaw drops. My jaw dropped. Um, yeah. And then we go right into, you know, basically the clothes start coming off and Skywise is kind of, it's kind of funny because Skywise is like mooning over her and mm-hmm. almost pining. It's like the anti Skywise. He's usually like, you know, the slick Rick who is sure. schmoozing and whatever. So it's yeah, the roles are generally reversed. Right. When it comes to Skywise. Um, and then he says this where he's uh, talking about this longing that he's felt for so long. And he thought it was the stars, but what it was, was her. Right. Uh, according to the, this, this segment here. Right. And, and, you know, she says like, he's like struggling to articulate it and she says, don't seek a name for it. Yeah. And it's almost like she is a physical manifestation of his desire for the stars. Uh huh. Which is, is frankly exactly what happened in the Dreamtime yes. story. Exactly. You know, she was a star and manifest manifested as this living, breathing creature. And, you know, Skywise found this connection and then she dissolved into a blanket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> whatever that is supposed to symbolize. I guess we'll, you know, we'll we'll find out, I suppose. But um but yeah, she says receive what has always been yours, and as simply as that. They get down to business. What has uh, always been yours. Right. Keep that in mind for what we're going to talk about later. Always. Right. I think that, right. that holds more significance than you might think on the surface. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, an aching emptiness at long last is filled. And then and then we sort of blend, you know, we fade out from them and we go back to the bigger picture. And, and this is where the, you know, the, the, um, the little preview teaser text comes in, you know, where it's basically like all these elves are fulfilling their, their wildest dreams. So Skywise finally, you know, sort of de- begins to develop this relationship with Timane. We see Winkin finally choosing to get wings Yes, in this next panel. Yeah. And, um, well, okay. Before we get to that though, I just want to say about, okay, so Timane and Skywise are joining here. So is this recognition? I don't know. I don't. She says, don't seek a name for it. Right. And you're right. It, it, like, it doesn't it, seem like recognition as far as visually how recognition has been depicted right. in the series. I mean, if you think of even in Final Quest when Tyr and Ember recognized, 
right. you know, you, you have that panel where there's like, it looks like a shooting star behind them, right? Uh, like right. fireworks go off. Um, but we don't really get that sort of visual cue here. It looks like, you know, it's very pretty and romantic with stars and everything, but right. I, I don't get the same sense that it's recognition. But I'm wondering if they already are recognized. Right. And that's going to play into, again, with what happens at the end. At the very end, exactly. So, yeah, but you're absolutely right that that line, receive what has always been yours, I think is is really significant. So, so you know, like we're doing in this conversation, I'm noticing as we're going through and talking about this, that Wendy and Richard have, again, sort of viciously, you know, put these little little bits of this, this Tamane Skywise storyline kind of woven in around all this other stuff to sort of drag it out through the whole issue. So kind of wickedly genius. I got to say, this has been the case for me for most of our recordings when we do the podcast is I'll read an issue and I'll get my own ideas about things, but Mm -hmm. they don't necessarily coalesce into a full idea until I kind of hash things back and forth with you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have the same experience, but like talking about it with someone else sort of gets the, those ideas that are sort of vague and amorphous and, and like really solidifies them or, or, you know, you leads to you, leads you to new discoveries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly, that's part of why I love doing this podcast. Yeah, me too. Because that exactly happens. Um, yeah. And hopefully that happens with the listeners too. I mean, it sounds like it does as well, so. Okay, it sort of triggers ideas amongst everyone, right? There's right, like yeah. A web of ideas that's created. Um, yeah, so Winkin's got his wings. This is, I was not expecting this, his wings <laughs> I, to look like this. I thought. Me neither. I, I drew a picture a few months ago of what I thought his wings would look like. Um, but this is really different. Uh, yeah. Yeah, these, these are more sort of looking like gossamer style right. uh, arm flap wings, um, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I don't know how. I mean, he's really happy that he doesn't, that he still retains use of his hands, mm-hmm. uh, quite unlike his father Tildak, who's, right. you know, big beef with his transformation via Winnow Will was that, you know, he could no longer, he no longer had hands. Right. His arms and hands were transformed into wings. Um, so Winkin has these, these, uh, arm flaps that they're, um, yeah, I guess they, they're kind of like sails a bit and yeah. Yeah. I would imagine them to be like, I, I don't know that much about the physics of flight, but I think they would have to be firm. Right. So like they wouldn't just I don't think they could be just a sail in order to achieve like the lift that you need. Yeah. Um, but, oh, my God, we're such nerds. <laughs> I was just going to say the same thing, but I was like, yeah. I, how I think, how I, do the physics of the wings <laughs> on an elf work? That's actually what we're discussing tonight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, you know, we own it. So um, they work. Exactly. Um, yeah. But they're definitely they're definitely much more um, almost butterfly-like or moth-like than... Yeah, I was thinking the same thing, like a moth. Yeah, they're definitely interesting. I definitely was not expecting a design like that either. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a cool design from the point of view, as you mentioned, that he still has use of his hands. And there's a, there is, and I, again, I'm going to get back into the physics thing, there is a lot of surface area on them, which I think, again, you need for like the lift. But the way that Wendy designed it was really neat because they don't actually, like he can still wear clothes, right? Yeah. They only attach to part of his upper back. So if he has to put on clothing, he can wear more than, you know, the Tildak style um, 
you know, V affirm. Yeah. Because <laughs> Tildak couldn't wear anything else because of the way that uh, that uh, Winnowill shaped his wings. So it's definitely an interesting, unique design. Yeah, I'm just looking at Audrey there with her hand over her mouth and <laughs> what is she really thinking? Like, oh, right. hell no. There's no way I am going for a role in the furs with him now. Like <laughs> these big skin flaps getting in the way and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. Um, but speaking speaking of which, I was paying less attention to Audrey and um Aurori really stood out to me in this panel. With her, like totally again, kind of retro. Like, I like she practically she's pretty much wearing go go boots. She looks like a go to go go dancer, right? Yeah, Even with the ponytail and everything. Right. Yeah, which very I think is, is totally awesome. And and it's also a thread in her her sort of character design because when we first saw her, she was wearing that um, huge, almost sixty style fur coat. I know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought I think that's kind of interesting. I don't very, know. Very um, she's very mod. Yeah, exactly. Like I almost expect to see Austin Powers pop out, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's neat. I think it's it's kind of cool. And again, I don't know if Wendy is doing that deliberately or if it's just sort of coming out from her design aesthetic. Um, but yeah, I thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm, yeah, and the ponytail totally is what brings it over the line. Um, you know, sort of the tall boots the body, the, you know, sort of leotard, body tard, whatever you call that thing. And then mm-hmm. the big, the big, you know, high on the head ponytail. Yeah. Uh, kind of brings it all home. So, yeah. So go Rory. The, um, the hairstyle itself, uh, barring the ponytail there, uh, on her actual skull, the way it's, um, bunched together, the initial designs for Tildak had hair and it was the same style. Right. Yeah. So I think well, that's sort of a design element that Wendy's brought back from uh, 30 yeah. years ago. Well, I mean, th- th- that's always been the style of all of the Chosen Eights hair. They all sort of wore their hair like that. You just never really saw it too much because they were wearing those big helmets. Yeah, you're right. But all their hair was pulled back into a bun. But it was in these sort of like chunks, like yeah. kind of back into the bun. And so Aurori has sort of kept that in the front but she's let you know sort of the back hair fly a little bit more free so mm-hmm. you know which is kind of neat i love it when the the character's look changes a little bit um you know it doesn't happen for every character but certain characters get sort of makeovers and yeah i think that's kind of cool well i mean we love that though right like the yeah. costumes is one of the coolest parts of right and hairstyles and yeah you know i mean some elves probably will never have a different hairstyle and others, you know, I mean, Aurori has had several over the course of, of Elf Quest. So the next scene after this is, is one, uh, one of the huge many character scenes that, um, that Wendy... Wendy has been griping about. And I can totally appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mentioned in the Facebook post when she was talking about it and she said something really funny, like just her hatred of drawing these scenes right. these group scenes and i don't blame her like it must be a huge pain in the ass having to draw these characters and they're very specific yeah costumes and everything but i said this is like ironically it's some of the most beautiful work that she does and i i speak as a fan when i say like i love the crowd scenes because oh, totally everybody together you know and how they interact with each other even like yep. like there's very subtle like look at tear holding the wolf cub Yep. And Nightfall's laughing and you know yeah. and and then you've got you mentioned earlier um Pike and Dreon uh with the dreamberries, you know. Right. <laughs> very simple, but it's so 
Like, I love those moments. Yeah. So well, it's, and, I love I love the crowd scenes. Like I thank you, Wendy, for drawing them and putting the effort into it. Yes, I'll I'll echo that. And um, I think the crowd scenes are also, um, you know, sort of a a really great example of this idea of the art of the story. Mm-hmm. And the idea that you can tell things, you can communicate things about everything from character, character, you know, personality, character development, um, humor, to even plot points simply by, you know, not never saying anything, just by depicting it sometimes subtly in, in, in the art and in the group scenes and in, and in the backgrounds, you know, you do see a lot of that. In fact, I actually, since we did our last podcast, I, um, I wrote a blog post for the ElfQuest homepage mm-hmm. all about this, all about this idea of pay attention to the background. Yes. Because there's tons of stuff that's revealed if you pay attention. And again, to me, it's just sort of a, a an example of the masterful storytelling and and not just with words, you know, with right. panel composition. Visual. Yeah. And, and, you know, showing characters doing certain things. And again, it might be something trivial like Pike feeding Dryon dream berries, but it's still like totally within character and it just fits, you know? And so, um, I believe, I, I believe you would call that the art of the story. Yes. The art of the story. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was saying. You know, yeah. it's, it's a great example of that. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that we finally see nightfall with uh-huh. her hair. Oh, oh my God. She actually has hair. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. It's like, it's a it's a wonder Shocking. that after centuries of wearing that bandana on it that it hasn't all fallen out. But. I yeah, I was expecting an Ekwar head. Right. Um no, I I love this because the first tease, I guess, that you can say for this particular updated character design was way the way back in nineteen ninety-six when um Wendy did that first sort of teaser illustration for the final quest back when they were calling it the ultimate quest. Yes. Um, and you see nightfall in the background and she's got a headband on, not her bandana. Um, that totally covers her, you know, her whole skull. And so, um, I, I just think it's awesome that Wendy went back to that design and Mm -hmm. found a place to make it work within the, the final quest. I mean, we already saw cutter getting to wear that outfit that he's wearing in that teaser, which I think is awesome. Um, previous issues. And so, um, a final quest. So it's, it's just neat. It's little details that again, don't need to be in there that Wendy and Richard are putting in there. And that is, it just makes reading off quest that much richer. I love that image, by the way, I remember seeing that in the anthology series mm-hmm. when it came out and I was right. like, Whoa, what right. is this? This is, this looks awesome. Yeah. Well, Shuna, Shuna was, it looks really old in that too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think that was before, it was decided that Sunstream was going to grow to the height that he is. To yeah. a high one size because he looks still pretty small. Right. Well, and, and you know, I mean, he's not really high one size. He's he's not only quite. about a, a head taller than wave dancer size. Yeah, kind of like wave dancer Aurori size. You know, yeah. um, you know, maybe not quite as tall as Sava um, or or Arik or you know some of the other really ancient elves, but definitely taller than like, you know, sort of the latter day generations of wolf riders and go backs and Sunfolk. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and whether or not they'll get bigger, I don't know. That kind of remains to be seen. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if they might still keep growing. So yeah. after, you know, you know, we basically have this big love fest in the scene and, 
you know, Cutter saying like everything's great and Ember's, you know, giving him kudos. Exactly. And, so you know that things are going to start to get course, really crappy. Right. And right? so because you yep. can't, <laughs> when things get really happy and good in ElfQuest, you just have to prepare yourself mentally because you know that shit's going to hit the fan. Exactly. Like, <laughs> right. It's just, and it does. The next, yeah. the next, you know, sort of set of panels mm-hmm. is, you know, Moonshade basically saying like, I've been waiting for you to sort of, embrace what our heritage really means yeah. in the bigger picture, not the smaller truth, the bigger. And, you know, she's essentially, she says, I beg you to sort of accept the palace and, and embrace it. And, you know, basically kind of open yourself up beyond just the very specific wolf riders way. And he says, I can't. And he looks really sad when he says it too, which I think just makes it all the more like it, you know, it would be, if Wendy and Richard decided to play this, that there was animosity, which would would be totally understandable, I just don't think it would be as meaningful. Because again, this this whole story arc of Strongbow and Moonshade kind of growing apart and then dealing with the repercussions of that is just so real, yeah, painfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, as we've talked about in in prior episodes, it's just you know it's it really like this is the thing in Final Quest so far that. You know, for me personally, is really the thing that is, you know, it, it, it hurts, you know, it hurts. If you've ever been through a breakup, like those emotions are there. And, and it's not always a huge, vicious fight and breakdown. In fact, I think more often than not, it just sort of, you know, it slowly, it slowly begins to die. And then you find and then there's this sort of period where like you don't want to admit that. And you kind of go through the motions and you get to you know, the, you basically have to get to the point where it's almost unbearable before you really accept that, you know, maybe this is over and it's time to move on for everybody's good. And I kind of, again, feel like this seems to be playing out here and it, it, it totally sucks in the best way possible. I, you know what, I have to say, I was a little um, like angry at Moonshade in these panels. Really? Yeah. Cause I, I think she's, she's not accepting what his choice is and she's putting a lot of pressure on him to change what he wants right and i mean i see it from from both sides he he was sort of doing the same to her earlier on right um but i don't think it's fair for her to to put him into this position now where she's like begging him to come with her and when she knows where he stands right well it's certainly it's certainly a two-way street obviously right And, and and you're right this scene kind of highlights that that like they both love each other and they both want the other one to kind of change. I mean, up until this point in the story, though, it, it has been Strongbow that has been, you know, pushing for his way. And, um, you but know, he, and I think, but you know what? Like she left and he was upset, but it wasn't like he stopped her from going. He yeah, accepted well, the fact that she course, went, yeah. and he was happy when she came back to visit and he wanted her to stay you know and if she came back for a visit uh, i'm assuming that over the 10-year period that that happened right often enough that she would have like these mini vacations away from the palace but it seemed to be working to some extent it's just it's obviously reached this sort of like climactic point now where everybody's making this decision about the palace or the world two moons and i guess it's come to this but i just don't think it's i don't think it's fair that she's putting him into this position now after he's for 10 years, you know, um, accepted her choice and, and made it work 
And all of a sudden now she's saying to him, like, I beg of you change, like, come with me and right. give up everything that you said you wanted. Yeah. So th- this this that point is something that I think t- is, is ties into, you know, what we were talking about a few minutes ago with uh, with with Skywise and this whole idea of choice. And then what you were saying about, you know, sort of the Rayek example of. Of, of sort of imp- imposing your choice on others. And I guess now is, is as good a time as any to, to sort of get into it. Um, it's going to require us to skip a couple things, but, you know, basically if we, if we kind of skip past the stuff that happens with Dart and Mender, which obviously I want to talk about, mm-hmm. but if you skip past that, um, yeah. we come back to Skywise and, and Tumain. Yeah. And the, you know, they kind of, they have some more, you know, interaction. they start talking about, this idea of like taking the elves home and Skywise says mm-hmm. all the high ones, children, no one should stay behind. Yeah. I couldn't bear it. And Timmy just kind of smiles and then, and looks know, incredibly creepy. <laughs> I think, uh, I, I can see why you, you, one might say that. I think my guess is that Wendy was going for luminous, okay, but she does she sort of look, she looks creepy and ghostly. Uh, yeah. And then, and then she, she kind of walks, walks up away. That's right. And then a little bit later, um, getting towards the end of the episode um, or the end of the issue, you know, when Skyway is again sort of mooning over um, this interaction with Timane and he's talking to Lita yeah. mm-hmm. and he says, you know, but it's so much more than just this like kind of bond that I now am having with her or, uh, you know, reaching fruition with her. But it's so much more. I see now that we're all meant to change. No one should cling to the old ways, yeah. not when they can feel like this. Mm-hmm. And that to me, I mean, and, he, and, and the healers must unite to make all elves immortal. Right. That's the final line that he right. says. Yes. And that of course is like critical to that little exposition there. So, so, so hi Skywise, uh, AKA the new Rayek. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, bells are going off, right? Like conflict ahead here between Cutter and Skywise. Right. Right. What the heck is going on? And, with Skywise? And, Right. And again, going back to Moonshade and Strongbow, I just think that that's a smaller, you know, Moonshade asking is a smaller example, maybe of, of the, this idea that the elves who are connecting with the palace, that there's something that they know that is so intense that it is, is sort of in their minds, justifying asking others to, to do that kind of thing, um, to mm-hmm. give up, you know, the way or whatever. And, you know, Skywise, of course, does not have the this scenario that Moonshade does where his recognized is, is the embodiment of that other way of thinking. Um, so, I mean, going back to Strongbow and Moonshade for a second, I mean, I think it's totally understandable that Moonshade would want to do that. And I don't think, I mean, I have, I, I think that I have no problem with her doing that because again, I think it's a two way street. Strongbow definitely did that of her. And I think there's a big difference between the two in that, you know, Moonshade was the one that, you know, was trying to grow and explore and, and Strongbow asking her to not do that was kind of squelching her. Whereas what she's doing, what she's asking him is, is equally like asking for an equally big change, but it's more like inviting him to open up to see something different. So, you know, whatever. I mean, I think that either way you slice it, the point is, is that the two of them are in a really, awful place from a relationship point of view. Well, yeah. And, um, and again, I do think that 
that Moonshade saying that is sort of thematically tying into what we're hearing Skywise say. And yeah, I see I, it from, I, from that perspective. Like, it's the same sort of issue, I guess. Right. But in one case, it's being a choice is being offered, and in the other one, it's um, being forced, or it could be forced. Like, with Moonshade, she's offering Strongbow the opportunity to right. come with her. Whereas what Skywise seems to be intimating here is that he thinks that this should be done regardless right. of what anyone wants, which is why I'm saying, like, what is he like the new Rayek? What's going on here? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I this mean, disturbing. even more disturbing about it is that, you know, the way that it's being presented, well, number one, it's, it's sort of one of our heroes saying it. And there's not like an immediate, like the way that it's presented in the story is not sort of done in a sort of villainous or, you know, like the tone of these panels is almost like it's blissful. I'm fascinated by that because, you know, I definitely see this sort of yin and yang of Ray Minowil and Skywise and Tumane. Yeah. You know, kind of developing here. And it's like, what, how, how is this all going to play out? It's really, I, I, I think it's fascinating, um, but it's also scary. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Like what exactly what you said here, like it's very, um, what was the word you used? Like the, uh, this yeah, whole yeah. scene? No, the, this scene is very... Um, blissful. Like, blissful, right, blissful. But underlying that, like this intention that Skyway seems to have is very dangerous. Right, that's exactly what... what... But he, I don't, I, he obviously doesn't see it like that. He just right. thinks he wants to do something good. Right. It's really, this just made me think of this, but there's deaf people and they want to remain deaf. They, they feel that that's their um, identity and they, right. they would never want to change, but family members or friends and pressuring them to get like uh, those implants you can cochlear get. Implants, yeah, yeah, cochlear uh-huh. implants, right? Um, because their idea is that, well, it, you don't know what it's like. Like it's amazing to be able to hear. And it, it's so incredible, you know, like you're missing out on this in, entire experience. Uh-huh. That person saying like, no, this is who I am and right. I, I don't want to change. Like I'm right. okay with who I am. Right. Does that yeah. make sense in the context? No, that, it it just, makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's, I think that's a, that's a really great analogy um, because I, that's what I think too. It's like, you might not know exactly what it's like to get this thing that others are trying to get you to accept in this case, you know, in Strongbow's case, I guess, you know, this idea of being in the palace and this blissful, you know, existence in the stars, but like, it's not who your identity is and you're okay with that. And I think there's, I think there's, I think that's legit, you know? Strongbow is a, is a wolf rider and he's okay being a wolf rider and that's all he wants to be. And I think like the fact that, you know, Moonshade's trying to convince him. I understand where it's coming from. And I, I like, I don't even, I, I don't blame her. It's just, that's who he is. And he's okay with it. Like, leave him alone. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> he doesn't need to. Right. Not everybody has to go in the palace. Right. They don't have to do that just because somebody else thinks it's the greatest thing going. Like, right. yeah, well, they, it, maybe it is, but. Right. But up until this point, it's always been sort of suggested that, you know, it would be free, free choice, you know, like anybody could choose either way. And, and granted, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy breezy as Strongbow and, and Moonshade are, you know, sort of the poster children for like, this is going to potentially break up otherwise, you know, you know, sort of intensely connected individuals, right? Yeah. Uh, because some of them might be different, you know, Moonshade, you know, Moonshade is, again, the flip side of that coin where she, like what she was, 
and what she had been for those, however, you know, a thousand years of her life or whatever, uh-huh. you know, wasn't really fully who she was. And she finally had the opportunity to explore that. And it just unfortunately meant in doing so, you know, it took her further away from her, her life mate. And so, but again, up until this point, you know, other than this sort of interpersonal kind of, you know, sort of trying to sway one way, one, one way or the other, that strong bone yeah. shader doing to each other. Now with what Skywise is saying, yeah, I mean, I mean, he doesn't say like they should be forced to, you know, become immortal, but he's just saying, he's voicing this opinion that like, it's basically like what you were saying. Like I have had this taste of what this is and mm-hmm. it's so amazing that people can't even really grasp it unless they can get to it. And so yeah. I think that you guys, you healers have got to make everybody immortal. And it's very, 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 very close. It's just like a couple inches shy away to the right or left or whatever of what Ray was saying back in yeah. to the broken wheel. Yeah. Like I pity you wolf chief that you will never know anything beyond your little limited brain, but I'm going to give this to everybody regardless of whether or not they get it. Right. You know, they understand what it means and, and they'll thank me later. Right. Exactly. I'm going to take um, away their choice. Right. And, and so, then, so, yeah. Right. And so, so again, though, I feel like if anything, Tamane is the one that is the, is going to be the counterbalance there because her whole shtick is choice, the lesson of pain and living your life and being able to make those choices as you see fit. So it, I don't know where, what's going to happen. Like, I think, yeah, you know, but what, what would he say? Weird, enigmatic smiles and stuff and walking away. Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what her deal is and I'm getting very suspicious of her right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's why I mean. very wary about what's going on with like, just say something that makes sense, please. <laughs> Instead of just smiling creepily I mean, and then walking away, like it's she. She's gotta. She's like Tamane is like has got to come clean and like just dump a bunch of like concrete stuff on us sometime yeah. soon. Yeah, well, I feel like that's coming because so far, like you're totally right. She's all sort of about innuendo and these like big picture ideas and just dropping hints and walking away, you know, floating away. Like, how annoying would that be in real life? If you had a friend like that, you know, you're like, so where do you want to go to dinner? And then just like, she just walks away. And then walks away. Uh, <laughs> that's really funny. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, okay. So yeah, in between those, those sort of two scenes with, with Skywise and Tumane and then Skywise and Lita, Moonshade asks finally for Lita to remove her wolf blood, which, you know, we saw coming. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's anybody will be surprised at this, no. but it's still kind of like, wow, she did it. You know, what actually surprised me more about this page was uh, Lita's thoughts after she had done it. Oh yeah. Uh, where she reveals that uh, she doesn't want to leave the world of two moons. She's quite happy being on the world of two moons with Cutter and living right. in their lives there that the though she feels the call of the palace and the stars that her choice is to stay which surprised me because i thought that during the course of this story she would um it, it was going to come to a point where cutter and lita would have to make that decision um you know right which one she, she wanted to leave that she'd want to leave and he'd want to stay yeah but it, it looks like she's very satisfied with staying right but she just wants him to make the choice to become immortal well yeah that's the other part right right so again another you know here's another example of 
you know, the, the, the two main characters, Lita and Cutter, potentially having a disconnect here. And how, how's that going to play out? I, this is, I mean, uh, we should talk about Moonshade, though, giving up her wolf blood. Like you said. Um... Well, I don't know. I mean, what else is there to say about it, you know, other than, you know, Strongbow's reaction to it, which we'll get to in a second. Um, you know, well, why I mean, don't we talk about it? Right. Yeah. So she comes out uh, after having it done. And this is right after Skywise talks to Lita about, you know, all of them should have their wolf blood removed or. And then Cutter's standing around with all of the chiefs and his children and taking in all of this, these, this psychic, uh, these thank yous that he's getting from everybody. Right. And then making him ill at ease. Yeah. He, he, he feels uncomfortable with that. Being in the spotlight in that way. Yeah. The hero worship, I guess he doesn't really go for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Moonshade has had her wolf blood removed. She comes out of the father tree with Lita and Skywise is with them and uh, the wolves don't recognize her scent anymore and Strongbow immediately recognizes I guess he can sense it whether mm-hmm. smell or what have you right. um, that her wolf blood has been removed and he, he's devastated yeah uh, I mean I love as as much as it's devastating I love visually the impact of it and how when mm-hmm. he's rendered it I mean it's so powerful yeah uh, that the look on his face right it's like it's like death it looks like the same look he had on his face when crescent was killed you know part of him has died now yeah because they're they're soulmates so you know this is this is huge for him right as much as it is for her right um and then we get that classic peeny drawing which is the the character from the back but they're in mourning or upset, but you uh-huh. see their face. Right, right, back, right. And it's all yep. body language that their their devastation is conveyed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's she's used that a number of times. Totally, yeah. Thinking yeah. of um, Hidden Years 5 with Skywise, the very mm-hmm. panel. Yep. Um, also in Kings of the Broken Wheel when Cutter was, uh, you know, when he wasn't eating and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when he connects with um, Night- uh, Nightfall Moon, and uh, Redlands, yeah. I mean, yeah. That is my favorite set of panels in all of ElfQuest. Totally, yeah. And you're absolutely right. Like, this is that same technique where yeah. it's just so, like, you don't even need to see the face because the body language is, and the rejection of, like, sort of the back mm-hmm. kind of speaks volumes. Um, um and then the next page, we get a few panels of this confrontation between Strongbow and Lita, which yeah. was really, uh, wow, visceral, yeah. very powerful, because there is so much seething anger. Yeah. And that's, I, like, I'm a little bit scared of what's going to happen. Totally, that, yeah. Like, it, Strongbow has turned against Lita completely now. He sees her as she has betrayed him, not right. so much Moonshade. Yeah. But Lita's betrayed him. And he had so much respect and admiration for Lita right. throughout the series. And now that he sees her as sort of like this catalyst for so much change that, that has affected him on such a deep level. You know, she's now, she embodies that for him. Totally, yeah. And I think the, like these panels, it's just so perfectly done. Like, you know, you, you, you just see him glaring over his shoulder you don't even see his mouth you just sort of see his eye Mm. and and the blackness of his hair just like hanging over those panels and then and then sort of the zoom out yeah you know or i guess the zoom in um 
you know, it's sort of the same piece of art, but it's like you see it, you know, from a, a little bit further back and then you zoom in to drive home that last line because of you. And yeah, I mean, this was definitely not something I was expecting. I mean, if anything, you know, I thought he would be mournful, but he's really angry. He's really angry at and and angry at Lita for yes. doing it. Yes. Um, yeah. Like what is going to happen now? There's rage involved yeah. in that. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, remember in Kings of the Broken Wheel when it was Lita who was helping him try to get through uh, having killed Kareel and she was working with him mm -hmm. together, the two of them, you know, and, and uh, he wanted her to help him and he was, you know, giving himself up to her, to her, her healing ability and, and mm -hmm. putting his faith in her. And now she's done this and he obviously sees this as a betrayal. Right. Um, yeah. Wow, this is, I mean, I, I don't know what to expect as far as this particular right. element of the story will play out, but uh, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm almost trepidatious a little bit because it seems like he could, like, do anything. I don't know, I'm really, like, I'm kind of worried for Lita. I'm like, stay away from Strongbow. Right, Get back totally, to the right. <laughs> yeah, no, and the, the, those panels which are so powerful, um, I really like the, the, the panel of Lita, though, too. I mean, she's just that panel with the green background, and she just looks so beautiful and elfy and yeah, yeah, with her yeah, green I, eyes. I, and yes, I agree. Um, and that's yes. what she says to him, too. Like, they're still the same people, but for Strongbow, that doesn't matter because for him, it's all about the wolf blood. But yeah, so, so what's what the other interesting thing is Cutter's reaction to it. And, you know, Cutter's just very nonchalant about about it and not that he shouldn't like not that i think he should be anything other than that when it comes to moonshade's personal choice or strongbow's personal choice or whatever but mm -hmm. he's nonchalant about strongbow's reaction mm -hmm. you know he's like oh wow moonshade chose again i don't think it's any more of a surprise for them than it was for us as readers i mean it's been building up to this yeah um, it has been and i think also the fact that he's dealt with that already with skywise Right. All right. Yeah, that that, um, that 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 makes sense. You that know, he's not freaking out in the same way that Strongbow's freaking out. And, no, because somebody really close to him had their wolf blood removed, so he's experienced right. that. Whereas Strongbow, um, although Skywise is a fellow tribe tribes mate, um, they're not as close as Cutter and Skywise are to each other. Right. Right. right? Like on on the same level. So Sky or Strongbow has never experienced someone so close to him making this kind of choice but yeah i mean i guess you know cutter kind of explains it like he's sort of at peace with the idea that you know even recognition doesn't mean both of you are going to think and feel exactly the same mm -hmm. for all eternity right um you know we have to be who we are who and what we are so cutter does seem to have an acceptance of that so that does explain why he's not freaking out more um yeah at least not over strongbow's reaction but right. um, and i guess I like, you know, um, it's, it's uh, probably yeah not a surprise to anybody that Strongbow is reacting that way. And this might be what you were going to say that what with free touch saying I was, yeah, I was going to say yeah, free touch and, and dart are, um, are both there and they, it's clear that they accept it. They right. accept their mother's choice. Like they're not really upset by it or phased by it. Right. Well, right. They were yeah. prepared for it. And she says, uh, free touch says she waited as long as she could for father to, and Cutter says, change his mind. So so then this last bit here, then it, it goes right back to, you know, sort of Cutter, Skywise, and Lita. And 
you know, Cutter kind of, again, just kind of nonchalantly is like, how long, ha, 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 how long are you two going to wait for me to change my mind? You right. know, and then he says, how long will you give up everything that's good for you on account of me? So what that says to me is that, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of the opposite of the Strongbow Moonshade dynamic that Cutter is kind of like, you know, I get that, especially for you guys, because you're immortal, that the palace is this thing for you in a way that it just isn't for me. Mm-hmm. And that it's a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And that you he's almost encouraging them to take those steps and saying like, hey, I guess, you know, I'll be okay with it. You know, whether or not he really grasps what that means, mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's kind of, it's just interesting. It's a different way of getting at the same scenario between, you know, really close life mates and, um, and, you know, I'll call, I'll include, uh, I'll include Skywise in that when I say life mates, because essentially that's kind of what they, the three of them are. Well, yeah, they are. And even to mean references, um, Skywise and Lita as Cutter's recognized life mates. Exactly. Yeah. Later on. Well, and that, yeah. So that leads us to, well, do you want to talk about Dart yes, Mender? Right, first? Yes. So let's talk about Dart Mender, and then we'll we'll finish with the you know sort of the big whop of the ending. Yeah. <laughs> so just like with Moonshade, um, giving up her wolf blood, kind of you know we sort of had hints that that was going to happen. Uh, we finally sort of get full confirmation that Dart and Mender are a thing. Yeah. And it's awesome. Yeah. And it happens in such a sort of natural kind of way. Like they're talking, um, you know, they start out by, by chuckling over the trolls and, you know, odd bit and her facelift and everything. And I really like how this all played out because, you know, it's like what we, you know, Dart's character has been handled by, you know, different people over the years. And, you know, but the real thing of it, I think the one kind of steady thing as he's gone through different iterations and is now back under Wendy and, and Richard is that, you know, he, he lost Shushan, his, his love mate in the, uh, the attack of, on the sun village by the go backs. And that really basically killed a part of him. And he actually even says that, you know, like his, they're talking about Shushan and Mender says, you know, his death nearly kill you. And, and Dart says it did kill something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a shadow of what I might have been. And so I, I, I find that really fascinating about Dart because, you know, he's, he, Dart started out as this really sort of youthful, optimistic, positive counterpoint to Strongbow's kind of gruff, sometimes stick in the mud attitude. Yeah. Um, and he was that way through the original quest. And then even in Siege of Blue Mountain, when he kind of went against the idea that all humans are enemies, period, when he formed that kind of bond with Gyoki. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then the next thing that we really see with Dart is this sort of, you know, the war with the go-backs and, and how it really killed that that youthful innocence, I, th- I guess. Yes. Um, and he's been very morose and sort of introspective ever since. Right. right. And yeah, very much very different from how he was depicted, let's say, in um, in Siege. Right. Right. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm and, thinking of when he came in with the Jack Wolf Riders to save exactly, the yeah. Wolf Riders. And he, he was very like gregarious and, mm-hmm. and open and smiling a lot, too. But he's so different now. Right. And, you know, I think I think, again, you know, under Wendy and Richard's telling, you know, as we've seen him in The Searcher and the Sword and The Discovery and now in Final Quest, I think they sort of ironed out any sort of, you know, sort of maybe w- weirdness or, or, or kinks in his character 
that came out of the forever green storyline. Yeah. So, you know, what we're left with is this, you know, this, this character who was so deeply wounded by the loss of his love mate, that Shushan, that it kind of permanently damaged him. And so Dart, it does have this sort of, you know, scar tissue around his heart. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just thought it was really great that, that that's kind of how this budding relationship between Mender and Dart kind of got introduced because Mender was there, you know, and they even talk about that, you know, like, you know, I mean, Dart says it like our, my memories of us growing up are dim, but I remember essentially how you used to get everybody turned on for these, you know, sex initiation, you know, things that healers do. And, you know, and he's talking about, you know, there were knights and it was the three of them and Shushan and Dart and Mender and maybe who, who, whoever else I'll never forget. So it like totally establishes like there's a history between them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just, I love when we get to see, like, this is an example of where there's a lot of stuff that goes on off camera, right? There's mm-hmm. relationships that happen and conversations and things grow and evolve. And, you know, rarely do we get to sort of zoom in to that personal level beyond yeah. like the main characters, you know, Cutter, Skywise, Lita, in this case, Moonshade, Strongbow, you know, earlier in the final quest, Tyr and Ember. Um, and Wendy and Richard are taking the time with Dart and Mender um, to kind of explore them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And of course it makes sense because this is this is that that sort of first in the spotlight same sex couple that we've kind of heard hint about um kind of developing, which you know obviously mm-hmm. I think is amazing. And it's just it's handled very sweetly, I think, and very kind of intimately. And we've got this wonderful, like really sad flashback of Shushen. Um, yeah, with Dart you know, carrying his body. Yeah, and just, you know, just sort of Dart's impressions of him. Right. Um, you know, as this sort of fun-loving, you know, Jack Wolf Rider, you know, Sun Villager um, that he lost. And, you know, it brings Mender to tears. And that's just so sweet. Yeah, I mean, it, this is, we've been shown throughout Final Quest that um, Mender and Dart had sort of this burgeoning friendship. And they were going on quests together, mini quests. Like, they mm-hmm. went to see drub and flam and yep so the the um implication is there that their relationship had been growing over all of this time and now they've finally reached this point where um you know they've kind of confronted each other with with their their feelings i guess mm-hmm. and and menders you know asked him to to make this in active exceptional trust um where dart sort of you know reveals to him his heartbreak Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's, it's like he's sort of like Mender's suddenly become his therapist and <laughs> on the on the couch, you know, like letting it all pour out. But you know, it, it, the effect of that is that it opens him back up to what is potentially like a new relationship, right? And 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 I think that's exactly it. I mean, I would mm-hmm. I wouldn't characterize it as a therapist. I would, you know, I think it's much more intimate than that. Obviously. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I think you're totally right. Like Mender is, is sort of coaxing, you know, sort of this, this part of Dart that again, is sort of like a shriveled scar, maybe back open and, and, and through no magic, just his personality and his, uh, his feelings for Dart kind of helping that kind of maybe blossom again, or, or get a little bit of life back into it. And um, that's really cool that you mentioned that, that, through like without magic because Mender's a healer and right. you know I, I didn't even think of that but the healer can they heal like mental yeah I mean 
Yeah. Uh, Lita's tried to heal Two Edge. She did a mm-hmm. little bit, and and Winnow will as well, right? Right. Uh, right. But yeah. So Mender could if he wanted to. Well, but and see, this but the they thing. don't have to. But like, I think there's a difference between mental and emotional. Yeah. Okay. And I think yeah. I think what darts scars are emotional, and I don't I don't think that your biological magical healing can fix that. You know, like if you think of a physical wound, yes, a healer can heal that, and if you think of you know, maybe it's sort of a mental illness as, you know, you know, a chemical imbalance or something, something physical is causing that mental imbalance. Yeah. Yes. A healer can heal it. Yeah. Um, you know, but in Winnowill's case, if you choose that, there's really nothing that a healer can do. You can't right. heal someone's choice. You know, it might be wrong and it might be sick, but you can't heal them of that. And I think right. the same goes for on the emotional level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess we don't understand the science of emotions as much as we understand the science of sort of mental things or physical things. And maybe there is some physical component that, you know, medical science one day will reveal. I mean, you could say emotions are directly tied to thoughts, right? Like a thought triggers an emotion. So if thoughts originate in the brain, then it could have a biological component right. on some like initial level. Right. Uh, but I mean, it just if the, the fact that Mender himself is a healer, but like you said, like the, his magic doesn't work in this case. Right. But and there are different forms of healing, and I think that's actually exactly. a line from from ElfQuest. I'm yes, trying to think what is. story. It is me too. But that's exactly what I was thinking too. This is a form of healing. Right. He doesn't have to use his magic, but it is a form of healing. Right. Which is really cool because it, you don't always have to use magic. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and so so the scene kind of culminates um you know Dart is kind of opening up, he's he's sharing with Mender and they have this sort of emotional moment. Um you know Mender's tearing up and you know Dart is is basically saying like you know who is Dart? Like what is there to him? I like I don't like, know and am I he's lost. Right. So, yeah. And this whole scene really has been about Dart and what he's lost and his sort of you know, Dart's kind of a shadow character now. You know, he's kind of in between the light and the dark. And mm-hmm. it comes back to Mender. You know, the scene then shifts from Mender in his response, or it shifts from Dart in as Mender responds to it. And, you know, Mender points at like life. You've had something that I've never known, a friend of body and spirit, a life mate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like this idea that, you know, Dart had these experiences that Mender and all of his cavorting and and love mating you know has never really had what dart had with shushan and you know and and saren too i guess because they do reference that he recognized her but yeah and being um, a father to boki they reference boki right um you know that mender has been this sort of freewheeling person that never has really wanted to you know i guess in the human way of putting it would be quote unquote settle down um, yeah, he's like a playboy, right? Right, yeah. And so, you know, he sees this this in Dart now after all of these years, you know, growing up together. You know, the two of them, you know, are, are, have got to be, you know, somewhere and I don't know. I don't know that we'll know exactly, but somewhere between 500 and 1,000 years old, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. you know, with all the, the sleeping that was done in rap stuff or whatever. So it's just kind of it's a great example of how elves can kind of grow and evolve in their own relationships. Um, even after knowing each other for most of their lives or their entire lives, I guess. Well, it's exactly. And, um, it's, it's interesting to, to see Mender now at this stage where he's open to this sort of relationship and, um, something a bit more, something with more substance, I Mm -hmm. suppose, or, Mm -hmm. um, 
maybe more long term. I mean, I don't know if they're referencing the fact that they're now life mates when he says that. Yeah, so I don't. Yeah, I think like not that it really matters whether they're love mates or life mates, but right. it ended on that line. So I'm wondering now, like, so does this mean they're life mates? Um, if they're not, I think that's where it's headed. Yeah, know? me too. Me too. But just the fact that suddenly like Mender, who's been like this player, and you know, like throughout his how many hundreds or thousands of years of life, you know, like you said 500 to a thousand is probably right. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, he's never, like you said, settled down. And now all of a sudden he's, you know, he's ready for, for this type of relationship now. And it's something that we've never seen from him before. I mean, as much as he was enamored of Ember, that obviously didn't work out as, right. as them being life mates. Right. Um, and, and actually let's talk about that for one second. Okay. Cause I think there's, it's worth kind of thinking about that. Like what's different here. And I think that with Ember, you know, there was an attraction and I think there was also that l- a little bit of that hero worship factor and, you know, Mender is probably one of the more human of the elves, right. In terms of how he sees the world and how he reacts to things. And, you know, he's, he's probably more, you know, as we've seen probably more prone than most elves to feel things like jealousy um, or to be spiteful or, um, or even um, slightly malicious, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to how he deals with his enemies. Right. Yeah. Um, more so than most elves are um, as Dart himself has pointed out to Mender. But um, yeah. so I think I think he genuinely loved Ember and he cared for her. But this is different. There's something, you know, Mender is having this connection with Dart that's different than in the past. And it seems to have sparked something that no one else has before. And that is this desire to sort of go deeper than he's ever gone before. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean physically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? Sure. So, well, I'm, I, I'm quite sure they know all about you know, all of that stuff. Mender um, seems to be the master of such things. But um, well, I, if there was any doubt from anybody at this point that the elves are rolling in the furs with everybody, yes. uh, there's no doubt anymore. I mean, it, it, right. We could have well, Mender, right? Yeah. And, and, and actually, I, I, I wasn't even thinking of bringing that into the discussion, but it probably does bear a few words from us on that, um, you know, just the why it's taken so long for us to actually see it in like on camera um, and, and what people's reactions to it will be. Yeah. Um, we haven't really ever gone and, you know, d- dove into that conversation, but um, you know, I, I guess really all I have to say about it is that, you know, Wendy and Richard have always, I, I, I go back to that panel or that, that scene at the end of, Issue number five of the original quest, which would have been at the end of sort of book one, um, where Rayek is leaving the Sun Village and Sava suggests, well, why don't you just, you know, get into a, th- a, th- a three-way relationship with Cutter and Lita? And he laughs mm. and says, no, I don't think we could ever be that that friendly with each other. But this notion that the way that these characters perceive sexuality and what's appropriate for, you know, relationships or whatever – is totally different than what we, you know, in the Western world kind of perceive that to be in the real world. Um, you know, it's been there from the very beginning and we have seen plenty of other same sex couplings, you know, there's very clearly Pike and Scott have, you know, a physical relationship in, in, as demonstrated, well, all, all through their relationship across the stories. But I think most prominently in, um, in the Dreamtime story where, Pike is basically, you know, sort of 
comforting and caressing Scott after he gets burned, after being a jackass and mm-hmm. falling in the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've we've seen that. We've seen we've seen um, Rafael and Malene and Verda refer to each other as love mates. Yes. Um, you know, we've seen obviously um, Talit and Dushine and Scouter, and not just the three of them together, but we especially in the final quest, we've seen. Dushine and Talit clearly as life mates, you know, like they're together, they know each other's soul name, they, you know, they refer to each other in sort of the way that life mates refer to each other. But so it's all been there for the whole time. And so we're now finally getting to see it. I think, if anything, it's, you know, it's (laughs) maybe a little bit overdue, but I think it's totally in step with where modern day comics are as far as portraying you know, what we would call in the real world, you know, sort of a, a quote unquote gay couple. Right. Right. Which I know Wendy and Richard don't like those you know, terms because they want to portray this world where none of those labels mean anything. Yeah. But um, I mean, but human, we're so human we're and, right. label and we're good. Exactly. So um, but here's the, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying about how throughout the series, you know, we've seen subtle hints of these types of relationships but it was always, for the most part, within a three mating where there was like sort of the if you didn't want to read it as that, yep, you didn't have to because yep. you could just see it as, and that's actually you where know I, there's an opposite sex partner. So right. that's you know what I, I mean? Uh, yeah, no, totally. Where that's here, it's like no, this is very blatantly right. just two male elves together. Exactly right, and that that's actually where I was going with my long windedness. There is that. You know, even though it has been there all along, it's been done in a way that has allowed people who didn't want to see it or recognize yeah. it or, you know, open their minds to it to to get away with just sort of mentally writing it out. And I'm so proud of Wendy and Richard for, you know, not sort of for taking you know the step in the direction away from fear of what, you know, some readers might react in terms of seeing this or, you know, frankly, even, you know, the, the industry that's out there, um, you know, the comics industry, the movies industry, whatever um, I, you know, it's so, I'm so proud of them for, for, for taking the story here and putting this in there. I mean, it's obviously personally meaningful for me to see myself reflected back in the pages of ElfQuest in the same way, you know, showing a relationship like this in the same, again, tasteful, um, you know, sort of meaningful, emotion-based way that we see every other couple in ElfQuest, every other sort of opposite-sex couple. So it's yeah. um, it's you actually know, it, pretty huge. I think you you reference like the comic industry and stuff, but I think for the most part, in general, the comic industry and the fandom is pretty open. Um, I think they are now, but yeah, if you maybe, go back to the you know to the eighties, yeah, in the nineties. But I mean, that was. Um, like society in general. Right. And that's why I say yeah. like, you know, if anything, getting to see this portrayed in the way that they're doing it now in ElfQuest is overdue, right? I mean, the world has changed. And yeah. the way that it was done in ElfQuest in the past was sort of, you know, kind of a nod and a wink and, you know, maybe more through innuendo and suggestion than actual openness about it. And again, sort of openness in a fearless way. Um, I think, yeah, the industry has changed and readers' I mean, views have changed. Yeah, and, like Ed, the X-Men had a gay wedding like totally, yeah. year, three years ago or right. something. Right? I mean, listen, so, Archie, if Archie Comics has a gay character, well, yeah. is was like the number one selling issue of Archie ever, you know, the Kevin Keller series, like when that came out, like yeah. if, if, if Archie can do it, 
ElfQuest can do it. And, and I mean, seeing it. <laughs> this isn't even like like the mainstream like superhero comic we're talking about, right? Like this is ElfQuest, um, which is already sort of an indie mm-hmm. comic. So the the readership is completely well, maybe not completely different, but it's, it's yeah. different than like your mainstream mainstream superhero comic right. readers. And, and here's it's, it's like the fandom for ElfQuest is pretty open. <laughs> Let's get back to the the last bit in this issue, which is the big. Thanks. You know, the big sort of whopper, um, head scratcher, the WTF moments yes. that yes. we had um, when we both read it. And um, uh, and everyone else will as well. Exactly. Yeah. Is so. So, you know, we hear, you know, Moonshade gets rid of her, her wolf blood, gets Cutter kind of talking with Lita and Skywise asking, like, you know, what? how long is it going to take you to decide to do what's right for you, i.e., you know, go back to the palace and, um, you know, let its influence work on, on you. Um, and that does trouble him. So he ends up leaving the big party in the woods, the chief's gathering and goes into the palace. Um, and he ends up in the scroll room and who should be there, but Tamane still in her Tamini form. Uh-huh. And, um, and again, this idea that, that she is different, both sort of internally and the way everything about her is different, not just her physical shape when she is in different shapes, you know, Cutter's a lot more comfortable around her when she's small in the smaller form. And the two of them just kind of sit there and it's, it's almost a blur, like just trying to kind of figure out what's going on. Like they start talking and, you know, he, she's being really weird again. (laughs) Well, you know, again, if you're like 6 billion years old, you'll probably be a little bit weird too. Uh, The way that you think and communicate with others, but yeah, that's a good excuse to me. Cutter's talking about his mortality and he's saying like, one day I'm going to have to give up my skin, but Lita and Skyways don't need to do that. They can go on forever. And she, you know, she's like, well, you almost, you know, you saved my skin. And she refers back to um, Kings of the Broken Wheel when the humans were trying to kill her for her white coat and Cutter takes the arrows for her and he almost dies. And, and he's like, well, of course, yeah. Like you're my ancestor. Like, of course I would do that. Like you, you started our tribe and she's like, yeah, but not really. It's a little bit more than that. Yeah. And and you take it from here. Well, I want to hear like how you uh, interpret this. I don't know, man. I'm so confused about this. Okay, so they're talking, and she starts sending him these. Uh, well, she's not sending; she's just reminding him of how he protected her, right? Yeah. And yeah, you mentioned that. And then she's. Um, I'm so confused well, by this okay, whole so, so, thing. Okay, he says, "Because of you, I would never, could never give up. You kept me going." And she sends back, "No, you did." Right. And it's like, huh? So then that was the first moment where I'm like, what? And then she says, remember when I look like this? And she changes into the wolf form that she had when he first encountered her in the troll tunnels in the frozen mountains. Mm -hmm. That was the first time they saw each other. And she says, uh, when our eyes first met in the pit, you did not know me, nor I you. A wide-eyed, artless cub you were but full of the fire to learn, to understand, as for me. And then she goes on about how when she got back into her elf form, she had to learn how to be Tamane again and know Tamane. And then she was studying the scrolls and remembering. Mm-hmm. She realized that their downfall was inescapable, despite Rayek's mighty attempt to prevent it, which sort of goes back to what I was talking about before, where it's almost like she wanted or she respects what Rayek was doing which is what is raising red flags for me. She refers to it as a mighty attempt. 
Well, mighty, but mighty doesn't necessarily like mighty. Like Winnowill's attempts are mighty. You know, Guttlecraw had Guttle. You could describe Guttlecraw's attempt at shielding, building the metal shield around the palace to keep the elves out as mighty. I don't know that there's no, a positive I connotation there. I think mighty to me has sort of a, a positive imp- uh, implication to it. Okay. Like you could say about Rayek, like it was um, his uh, his misguided attempt. Right. And it, she right. refers to it as mighty. It, it, that has a positive connotation. All right. All right. I'm willing to, to open my mind to that possibility. But, but, but here's, but here's why, but wait, but here's why I, I think it's it's at best neutral because you know of course my Virgo brain is trying to kind of follow like almost like a timeline of what she's describing. So she's saying on this page where she's sort of you know sort of spread eagle, um, you know, I got I, the the palace restored me to this high one form, and she it took her a while to figure out Timane, which would have been when she was in rap stuff in the still decrepit palace where Rayek was trying to learn its secrets. That's when, you know, the next thing she says happened. I was studying the scroll of colors and saw that our downfall was inescapable. And so, and if you go back to, to that scene in Siege of Blue Mountain, where Rayek says, you know, we, I'm going to go get the glider so we can restore the palace. She, and she doesn't answer him. She kind of rejects him. And yeah. he's confused by that. That's what they're talking about here. Like she was... She got turned back into a high one and studied the scroll of colors for those three years while she was in rap stuff. And that is actually when she finally came to the conclusion that what she did and what she chose for the Wolf Riders was the right thing, that staying there was the best thing because it was the lesson of pain and whatever, whatever, whatever. So for her then to say in the next line that Rayek's attempt was mighty and mean it in a positive sense just doesn't mm-hmm. seem right to me. Hmm. Um, but anyway, that's my logic there. Um, so no, I think so, either either way could be, is a legitimate interpretation. I think you could look at it either way. But she says, uh, anyways, uh, the greatest teacher for all time, of all time, is you. So then we skip to this this interlude, this quick interlude where Lita's feeling what Cutter's feeling, and his heart is pounding, pounding, and and then Sunstream gets this sending from the Wave Dancers that. The Jun's fleet, his armada, is entering their waters, mm-hmm. set up for next issue, and right. then <laughs> then we're back to Cutter and Tamein. Okay, who's so, just as confused as we are. Yeah, this is I, I feel for Cutter throughout this whole portion because he's has no idea what the hell is going on, and neither do I. Um, so he's saying like, hey, "Your greatest teacher, what?" And then uh, he's saying like, "Your your works." my hide's not worth one strand of your hair. And um, <laughs> and then he says, because he's a wolf rider, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. And she sends to him in the part that lives on, and he says, my spirit, well, it's going to fly free, won't it? And she says, yes, but so will your skin. For here it is, in this form too, and it will endure beyond time. There, there has only, only been, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> there has only ever been you, no us, two skins, one soul, one tam tam. <laughs> I was good for you. That was your cue. I was so engrossed in you in you telling it. Um, yeah, it's like okay, so right. So I've read this like a thousand times already, and so okay. So my first my first it, reaction was just oh they recognized, but then I was like because she she knows a soul name, but then that doesn't really 
necessarily mesh with what she says before. And then the second thing I thought was Rayek's line to Winnowill, no, Winnowill's line to Rayek at the end of, uh, uh, of Siege of Blue Mountain, where she basically says something very similar to this, that, you know, we're, we're basically two souls or one soul in two different bodies. Do you remember that line? It's when she, it's when, it's basically when she's like manipulating him when he first arrives and she's basically saying like, yeah, this is not, it's the meeting of right. The meeting of two kindred souls or something. Exactly. And she says something like it's, it's like, you know, something about like one soul, two bodies or something along those lines. So that's what I thought next. The thing that doesn't match quite right with that too, is that she's like literally saying that her skin is cutter skin. And she knows his soul name. She knows his soul name and she knows things that that, Cutter. Only, that only Cutter knows, like what Skywise said. Yeah. So this is what I think. Are you? Are, yeah. we, are we ready? Lay it on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that Cutter and Tamain are the same person. I think they're the same. Like Cutter is Tamain. Right. And so my reaction to that is, my head is exploding. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm kind of, I don't know how to describe my feeling about this. I feel like, I feel really weird about it. I do too. Like weird is a good word to describe it. Like if, if that is indeed what this means, because it is left, it, 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 like they, they, they don't actually say it, right? Like they've kind of led us here. And if you sit and think about it and chew on it the way that you and I both obviously have. Yeah. It, it, I came to the same conclusion that like it's something about them is the same, but how could that be? And this is where I go back to what we were talking about earlier about where ElfQuest is getting really big again and like yeah. getting into these, like these kind of weird, crazy sciencey, but also spiritually concepts that are like so big and beyond just like riding your wolf and catching a deer in the woods. And yeah. that's kind of an amazing thing. I mean, that's kind of like when you're, like in the original quest and you're reading it and the stakes gradually get higher. Then you get to the end and you like, you find out that they're freaking aliens, you know? And so I kind of feel like this is one of those moments where it's like everything that we knew and we thought at least about cutter Uh could actually be so much different than what we could ever even have imagined. And then it's like, and where the hell is this going? Well, and then Wendy and Richard keep saying like they've left hints throughout the entire series. So now I'm racking my brain, going like, "What? Like, right. was there? There's hints about this. Is Cutter to Maine? It, the, I don't. So what does that mean? Like, does because now I'm thinking about it, and I'm going, okay. So does this mean that he has to leave the world of two moons, and he's going to become immortal, and eventually he's going to shape change into to Maine, and then somehow. They're going to go back in time to the start of everything. I, and he's, and that's who he is. And it's just, it's just this endless cycle. I don't know. And, and is there some element of like reincarnation going on here? But she says, she says that they're one skin. Right. Right. And wait, does she say one skin? Yeah. She says, but so will your skin. There's only been, no, she says two skins, one soul, but she right. says, so will your skin, for here it is, in this form, too. Right, like meaning that her skin is her, his skin. It's his skin, that, right. they're, that they're one in the same. Or actually, that no, that her, his spirit is her spirit, and that they have two different skins, so when his mortal skin dies, he, and I'm using quotes here, 
will continue because he and she are the same thing, spirit-wise. No, but she says skin, too, because she says, so so will your skin, for here it is, in this form, too. Right, but I think what she's saying is, like, your wolf rider skin will die, but your skin will live on because my skin is your skin, because we have the same spirit. I think that's the way that I'm reading it. <laughs> but she says in this form, I don't, yeah, okay, no, it's, I think you're yeah. saying, like, maybe that means that the spirit is in her body. His spirit? Well, I, I almost think of it now that you just said that and that we're having this conversation. It's like um, it's like Rayek saying this whole idea of spirits are like flame. Remember when he was talking to um, to Skywise and Ember back in Kings of the Broken Wheel? Yeah. And he says, you know, all flame is one flame. Yes. That's what I just thought of when you when you said that. Like, so they have two bodies and there's a soul that occupies both and it's the same soul. It's just like two candles. They're right. They're not connected at the moment, but if cutters body dies, the, the flame which exists in both of them will continue on. And the cutter part will, I guess the, like the cutter personality part will persist within the body of what is Timmy. I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm just, like to me this seems very specific to cutter yeah what she's saying and it's specifically cutter's spirit and his body and she knows his soul name and well i think she, she knows knew, his soul she name because what, she is tan too well yeah that's what i'm saying but how is that possible what is going on <laughs> i know and i keep laughing because i my 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 brain is doing you know somersaults or whatever and again i i, I guarantee you that we are going to look back on this in two and a half, three years when Final Quest wraps up and be like, oh, of course. But, I'm, but I'm having like anxiety over this. Is that weird? I'm <laughs> no, like, I'm not too involved in this. No, not at all. I, I have anxiety as well, like major levels I'm of anxiety. Stressing out over it. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand what's happening right now. And it's making me very <laughs> anxious. <laughs> Damn it. Wendy and Richard. I know. I think it, it, this clearly was their plan from the beginning, right? To make us have our hearts pump the way that Cutters is in the story. Um, you know, another thing that I just noticed um, on that, like that second to last page there, um, when Tamane is saying, well, that, that whole page, um, when she's explaining whatever it is that she's explaining that we can't figure out, but this idea that they're somehow connected, um, her eyes turn blue. Did you notice that? Yeah, I didn't notice that. Now, of course, her eyes could be whatever color she wants them to be, but I'm scrolling back up. Yeah, and in in, in the, the the last panel that we see her before that scene, yeah. her eyes are still silver. Right. Yeah, and then they're blue. His color. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if that is something that Sunny did, or if that's something that Wendy did. Well, I'm sure that if Sunny did it, it was because Wendy asked him to. Like it was an art direction. Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I get the feeling that Sonny sometimes does things in the art that are not prescribed in that way and they work. Yeah. Um, true. I don't know, but that's what made me think of it. Like, I wonder if Sonny read this and he obviously has more insight because he's probably read the next few issues, you know, and so maybe he knows something that we don't, but I could see him potentially doing that. I don't know. Well, I'm sure when Wendy and Richard listen to this, they'll 
they'll pipe in about that. But uh, you notice that uh, on the last page when she's in cutter form that uh, she he doesn't have um, uh, face fur. Oh no, I didn't. Although sometimes the way that Wendy draws it is a little bit ambiguous. No, there are... there's definitely no face for there because it okay. comes down to like his onto his cheeks, under right. the cheekbones. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, if you look at the the page before that, it's yeah, it definitely is coming in. So that's like, interesting. What does that mean? No wolf blood. What the hell is going on? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah. and then I'm thinking this whole thing with. Skywise being drawn to to Maine the whole time. Right. Well, they Cutter and Skywise are recognized. Right. So was all of this him being drawn to Tamane, him being drawn to like his recognized life mate or something? Right. Yeah. No, no there, there, yeah. Yeah. There's something I know. And actually I'll tell you what, I, I this is probably the only time that we've recorded a podcast that I have not poured myself a libation before we started. And I totally wish that I did because I need it now. <laughs> um, no, but okay. So here's, here's what I'm going to say. Be crazy. Let's end on the, on this note okay. of saying that recognizing that we have no clue what's really going on here, but I, I think I have to, before we end though, I have to read you that quote that I found. Which quote? From Ask Elf Mom. About Remember what? I sent it to you on no. Facebook. Yeah. Oh my the other God. day I sent it to you. <laughs> okay. From Ask Elf Mom from like 10 years ago. Oh, right, 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 right. right. Yeah. So somebody asked a question about Tamane, and I, this is what she said about what is the question was something about along the lines of what does, how does Tamane feel about Cutter and Skywise? And um, Wendy answered, she says, but here's the real mystery. This is the last half of it. She says, her impressionistic thought patterns suggest an alwaysness about her companionships with both, with both Skywise and Cutter. When I think Skywise at her, she sends back very lovingly Cutter. When I think Cutter, she sends with equal love Skywise. Though Skywise is the one with the affinity for the stars, she doesn't seem to perceive a difference between the two soul brothers nor any separation between herself and them. And I'm not just talking woo-woo new age oneness here. <laughs> Absolutely, there's something warmer than the feelings of a mentor for a pupil going on. But darned if I could figure it out. It may be past human ken, so I leave it to you to discuss amongst yourselves. I realize this is the most vague response I've given in this forum, but it, it'll have to do. Fascinating, right. So this whole thing about alwaysness and how when she when you think of cutter she thinks of skywise and vice versa and that there's um there's she doesn't perceive a difference between the two of them nor any separation between herself and them okay something profound is going on right with this entire situation that is like beyond anything that we ever expected from this story yeah i i certainly didn't i never well okay uh, wendy has been saying all along that they have something up their sleeve that we'll never guess and right. I, think, I, I, I think she's right i now finally like not that i ever doubted it but now i totally see what she means because again 
I have no idea what this means. And, you know, going back to the recognition thing, yeah, I mean, if Timane and Cutter are sort of connected and the and Cutter and Skywise have recognized, and because they're both male, you know, there there isn't like a, the procreation part going on there. Yeah. yeah. But if but but you know, so so going back to the interaction with Skywise earlier in this issue, you know, it's not like recognition, but like you actually said it earlier. It could be because they already recognized, you know, decades ago. Because he maybe recognized Tamane through Cutter through whatever this sort of connection that they have are is. Yeah. So right? does that mean that their joining in this issue actually was the fulfillment of recognition? And Oh my god. If if you want to bring in Jink into it and referencing back that future quest uh issue or story in Metamorphosis, remember when yeah. what looks like Cutter says we have to find my daughter? Well, it wouldn't necessarily have to be from like cut, the cutter. Oh my god! Oh <laughs> my so god! Oh my god! Yes. No. No. It could. It would right. still be his his daughter. He technically his daughter if he and Tamane are the same entity. Okay. Just like we were talking about how difficult it is to understand music in the form of a comic book, especially when you actually don't have the lyrics. Yeah. What my brain is doing cannot adequately be. <laughs> communicated via a podcast <laughs> i'm picturing the death star exploding that's what the brain is doing right now about all of this and i didn't even think about any kind of gene connection until you just said that yeah but yeah holy troll turds <laughs> um all right so so what i think you know we're not we're not going to sort of crack the nut fully um so rather than beat it to death, I, I think let's stop here and we'll see what issue 12, which, you know, is another painful two months away, but, um, you know, I, think I need to go on a retreat for the next two months just to like <laughs> adequately deal with my feelings about this. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm very eager to hear the explosion that's going to happen when, you know, when everybody really starts chewing on this and listens to our podcast and, you know, really kind of lets the issue sink in. And, um, because I guarantee all the stuff that we've talked about, there's probably 50 other ideas and theories that other fans can come up with that might be just as legitimate sounding. So I think it's going to be a really interesting couple of months, uh, between this issue and the next, probably more so than any other issue. Um, of ElfQuest, with maybe the exception of the issue at the end of Kings of the Broken Wheel, between when Rayek steals the the palace forward, and um, the issue where we see, we basically think the Wolf Riders have all died. Right. Um, and back then, we didn't have the internet. I can remember reading that and being like, "Oh my god!" And then we had to wait like four months. That was before my time. I never experienced that. So uh, it was it was pretty painful. It was like, "Oh my god, they're dead." They're dead. They're dead. They can't be dead. And all of this was going on in your brain by yourself. So I, the, I think the internet community is of ElfQuest fans are really going to, you know, be there for each other through. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, we'll all be, but, but by the time this next issue comes out, we'll all be sort of like in fetal position rocking. <laughs> yes, exactly. Remember I said that it was like Mender was sort of like the, the therapist. Right. But we all need right now. But okay, full disclosure. I'm I'm kind of worried. I'm just I'm a little worried about this. 
because sometimes when major things like this happen in stories, it can be very disruptive. Everything that came before it and sometimes it can ruin what came before it. And so there's, I'm kind of, I'm anxious and I'm worried about it because I don't, I don't know like what to expect. And it just, this seems like it's game changing beyond anything that right. ever anticipated is about to be laid down. Yeah. And I'm, I'm worried. I feel the exact same way. And I okay. totally get exactly this idea of like, I'm kind of nervous because I don't want it to sort of ruin ElfQuest or whatever for me, at least anyway. I trust, I trust Wendy and Richard, but right. I can't help feeling that because I mean, man, I went through lost you know the TV show, <laughs> right? The ending of that destroyed this everything that came before, right? Yeah, so, I didn't, I didn't watch Lost fully, but I know the ending, and that a lot of fans were disappointed with it uh, for that exact reason. It's abysmal. Yeah, I'm just I'm very very concerned right now. <laughs> well, my 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 way of dealing with that is is yes, number one, <laughs> I, I would you say drinking? Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, no, is yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, you got to trust. You got to have some level of trust in Wendy and Richard, who have been storytellers for literally as long as I have been alive. You know, longer than that. Talk me down. Right? Also, let- so, you, like you, like in order for this to work, we yeah. all need to be able to put a like, you know, a, I don't know, thirty percent trust, thirty percent just sort of openness to whatever the hell might, might happen. And then 30% patience, um, 33%, I guess I should say, um, to add up to a hundred, but you know, so, and I guess the last part is, I think the most important is that what I have found being an ElfQuest fan for however, you know, 30, what years or whatever at this point, actually 30 years with this wow. year is when I started reading ElfQuest back in 1985. Wow. Um, 10 years old. So, oh my God. <laughs> I know it's kind of crazy. Is that just be patient and let the story unfold before you kind of have knee jerk reactions. And I'll tell you, I read this and I had a knee jerk reaction and it was that reaction of what you just said, like, Oh my God, what does this mean? And is this going to totally change everything? What are you doing? Yeah. But at the same time, like I, I have trust yeah. and I have an open mind and I have patience and I'm willing to ride it out and I'm willing to see, go on this ride, this journey that Wendy and Richard are putting out there and that they have been telling for all of this time and see where it goes. And, you know, I mean, even for me as the crazy obsessed ElfQuest fan that I am, you know, there's, I don't love everything that has ever gone into every ElfQuest story. You know, there are elements that I would, like that rubbed me the wrong way or I would have done differently or whatever. But if you take the long view and the big picture, I mean, overwhelmingly it's something that I think is amazing and brings me, you know, great joy and all that kind of stuff. So, so when it comes to this, this is like, this is major though. I think this is going to rock the foundations of everything. That's why I'm so like, I'm, having heart palpitations right now and I'm, I'm breaking <laughs> you need a drink wet. not me is, this, is that bad do i yeah. yes go okay. pour yourself a whiskey or something <laughs> call me in the morning um, <laughs> no seriously like it, it's going to be very easy to be like you know read one scene in one issue and then have two months to wait and and be like go to like immediately to like worst case scenario of what you think would ruin the story right 
And so that's okay, right? Like we're all, that's what we do. We're fans. We, we want to think about this stuff. We want to, you know, speculate. And, and of course, like our minds are, you know, the, we all have that, that sort of worst case scenario bug in our brain, right? But I'm just saying like, just give it, give it a chance, right? And, okay. and see what happens, you know, because who knows, you know, I mean, I like, like one of those things, a, a good example of this is, is the time jump forward that happened in Kings of the Broken Wheel. I really liked ElfQuest set in that sort of prehistoric time frame. And yeah. I really wasn't psyched about it going into like a medieval time frame. But all these years later, like uh-huh. it totally worked in the story and it really like it doesn't I don't bat an eye at it now. Yeah. And that was a pretty significant thing. I mean, yeah. frankly, even yeah. introducing the notion of time travel into ElfQuest at first I was a little bit leery of in the same kind of way that we're talking about here cuz that was a huge game changer, you know, ElfQuest yeah, sort of would. Yeah. You know, sort of comforting story that you could kind of wrap your arms around about this like family living in the woods with wolves. Right. And then, yeah, yeah, they went on a fantastic journey and they had battles or whatever, but it was still, again, you could wrap your arms around it. And then all of a sudden they're, they're like zipping through time. And it was kind of like the, the death star blowing up again was my head back then. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't all like perfectly, um, you know, like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. Like I had mixed feelings about it Yeah, back then. You know, right. I, I was what, I was in high school at that point, but you know, uh, so again, I just, you know, be, having been a fan for as long as I have. You were already dealing with hormones and then you had to deal with time travel. Exactly. I mean, come right? on. Yeah. Bad <laughs> combination. Right. So again, I just, you know, in my advice as a longtime fan is to let's write it out and see where it goes before we get too jumpy or panicky about Elfco's being ruined because of any one thing that happens in one storyline, you know? So can I, can I call you in the next two months if I, if I need to talk about this? Totally. Okay. (laughs) As much as I would like to extend that offer to everybody out there, um, my head literally would explode if y'all started calling me. So I'm happy to chat with you on Facebook, Ryan, you can call me. Yes. (laughs) It might be like three in the morning. I might wake up in the middle of the night and need to talk to somebody about this. All right. Well, I can't guarantee that, that I'll answer, but but I'll, I'll call you in the morning then. Okay. Okay. Good. (laughs) All right. On that note, I think, um, let's wrap it up and (laughs) take some deep breaths, get out your brown paper bag and breathe into it if you need to. And, um, let's, Let's put this out there and hear what everybody else has to say uh, about the story, about our speculations, and just have fun with it for the next two months until we hopefully get some more answers in issue 12, which is out in November. Right on. Awesome. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but... (laughs) You will. Trust me. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on gemendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussions on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The Final Quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. 
Until next time, shade and sweet water.